The Manhattan Project, Snowmen, and Sleeping with Demons. Welcome to Marvel vs. Marvel, the podcast where a comic book fan and a movie fan re-watch the Marvel movies, explore, compare, and contrast how they differ to the original comic books that inspired them so many years ago. I am one of your co-hosts, Mr. Rob Holden, writer, comedian, and lifelong Marvel comic book fan, and I am joined by the other co-host of this adventure, Mr. William Preston. Welcome, Will. Hello, always a pleasure. Now, as we do at the top of the show, (laughs) I have put my credentials on the table, let me tell you. I was taught to read, ladies and gentlemen. I was taught to read with Marvel comic books. My parents would tip X or white out the word balloons and write in simple words that I could read, like dog and cat and wipes his bum. And that's how I was taught (laughs) the English language. I've been reading comics, Marvel comics, since I was three or four years old. Um, I've, I've ripened to an ancient age. So that's my side of the fence. Will. Question one. <laughs> Have you seen films before? Movies? Oh, the moving pictures. Yes, yes, I, I'm aware. <laughs> <laughs> You've seen the moving pictures. Now, to preserve the format of the show, please, Will, can you confirm for us now, live, on the show, how many Marvel comic books have you read in your entire lifetime? Oh, the non-moving pictures. Zero. Oh, well, that looks like we can proceed with another (laughs) episode of Marvel vs. Marvel. The format, ladies and gentlemen, tick the box, ring the bell. The format is intact. Boom. I'm uh, deeply excited about this. It's getting harder and harder, though, because people keep suggesting comic books to Will that he'd love. (laughs) Now we're doing this podcast, and it's bounding around, and we've got listeners, we've got downloads, we've got fan letters. People keep saying, hey, Will, you should read this i got to get in there and say, no! <laughs> it all falls apart if he reads a Marvel comic. I've got to keep that format sacred. Now, we've been on quite a journey oh, yes. uh, so far. This has been uh, fantastic. Mm. The journey continues, but right now, if you don't know, get to know. If you don't know, you should know. We've done phase one of the MCU. That's why we started with Iron Man 2008. Rewatched all of Phase 1, step by step, compared and contrasted it to the original comics. And before we embark on Phase 2, and we're getting there, we've got the destination marked in the GPS, but before we get there, this podcast has taken you on a detour, isn't that right, Will? Oh, yes. A detour! And we're taking people to Marvel before the MCU. Yes! And last week... In the last episode, even, we uh, we took you all the way back to what is easily the first real Marvel movie. 1998, ten years before Iron Man and the MCU changed things forever. We took a look at one of the first movies to lay the table for the MCU, and that was Blade. And that was quite, uh, that was quite an episode for all of us to get into. To go back to the 90s. Very well received. Quickly became, within two days, one of the most listened to, most downloaded episodes of the podcast. Blew us away, didn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And within a couple of days, we saw it rise up the rankings. I didn't know there were so many Blade fans out there. So many 90s fans out there. I think we've got a lot of 90s kids uh, on the podcast listening by the looks of the letters and the feedback we get. 
We're really excited that you're with us for the journey, for the detour on the journey, sorry. Because some people, I don't know if they've seen all of these, and that makes it even more fun sometimes. Maybe you're watching these before the MCU flicks for the first time. If you are, man, get in touch. We want to hear from you. Was that your first experience of seeing Blade like it was Will? Or were you someone like me who had uh, grown up with Wesley Snipes as the baddest man in all the movies your parents weren't letting you see? <laughs> and that was a great experience to relive that. And we've got step two on the detour in this episode, which is the year 2000 and X-Men. Very, very excited to uh, to get started on this because not for nothing, but it, it kind of Blade doesn't really feel like a superhero film. Right? Not we really. Said that. Not really. Uh, it's more it, of this dark sci-fi vampire, fantasy. Yeah, yeah, that sort of genre. And so uh, this this really feels like we're perhaps getting that step closer to um, Marvel being fu- fully accepted and embraced by the cinematic world. So uh, that's deeply exciting. We've got a lot more fun to come as we rewatch. Mm, <clears throat> the Marvel, <laughs> sorry, lost all my words then, completely out of my mouth, as we rewatch Marvel before the MCU and we take on X Men. We've got that deep dive coming up. We've got some fantastic fan letters and feedback uh, you've all been uh, sending into us. We're going to get to that very shortly. Will, well, this is the best bit of the show for me. What was your impression of X Men before? the movie came out like I because of how much feedback we've had from people I think I kind of know I think I imagine I know how you were because you're around the same age as an awful lot of people who are listening downloading so lay us out for us would you aware of these characters before the year 2000 before this movie came out oh yes mainly through the cartoon the 90s Saturday morning cartoon was how I knew about X-Men and I loved it I was so excited for the film Sing, sing the theme song for us right now. <laughs> I've actually, on my Twitch, I've added um, some sound effects and some music. And when I start a fight, I have the option to play the X Men theme tune as well as other songs. <laughs> uh, it's how Put much. A quid in the Willie P jukebox. He's got theme tunes for days. Yeah. yeah um, too right. I'm going to say two words for all our British fans and listeners out there. Live and kicking. You know where it's at. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> That's where the cartoon lived on Saturday mornings over here in the UK. Live and kicking. <laughs> um, what do you, so what did you think of the X-Men cartoon then? That, was that your first exposure to these characters? Yeah, indeed. First exposure to these characters. I, I, I really liked it. Uh, this I think this is this is off the back of Batman the Animated Series, wasn't it? It was the time when I think once that came along, they went okay, we can start doing uh, comic book superhero stuff, but a little bit more serious, uh, not so silly. And I, I I love the collection of characters. I mean, the the thing about the Theogen is you have the opening credits and you're you're barraged by so many different characters. Some you might not see till yeah. later. And you get this idea of they've all got superpowers and they're all a big team. They're all from around the world. Uh, I love that. I love every aspect about that. I love seeing uh, different representations of like, oh, here's someone from Australia who can set things on fire. And you think, well, it is pretty hot down there. So 
It makes sense. <laughs> I think also what was so great about it is all these, all these colourful costumes, man. Oh, all these right. colourful, colourful costumes, and I got to say that's what, I mean, that is what I think is really missing from from this movie. Uh, the colourful <laughs> costumes are gone, and I think that's a huge, huge part of the cartoon series, um, and makes the to- like. I can't imagine growing up if I had been a toy collector. Or young enough that when the movie came out, I wanted those toys. Hmm. If those toys are just people in leather jackets, <laughs> get out. Get away from me. I'm going to buy a series of action toys, right? Action figures. And every one of them is a person in leather. I don't. First of all, that's some creepy bondage S right there. I'm not sure my mum would allow that in the house. And second of all, that's not fun, man. That's not fun. I want bright garage superhero costumes. You're sitting there playing with your action figures, and your mum thinks, "Oh, he's 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 playing with his West Side Story action figures because they're all wearing leather jackets." There'd be no way of telling the difference. <laughs> yeah. Leather jacket gang. I mean, um, yeah, but but that that. That cartoon series was a real touchstone for a huge amount of people. Um, had its basis in a uh, a very successful pilot from the nineteen eighties. Um called Pride of the X Men, which I had on video VHS. Oh, the big damn. three letters that I bought. It cost a lot of money. I had to uh, save. I think it was a Christmas and a birthday sets of of, of cash together to buy that from. The local video retail store. Oh, All of these things no longer exist. Uh, retail stores, <laughs> video. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that was a single, a single pilot episode, and the animation was arguably much better um, in in that in that old one, in that old one, Pride of the X Men. And it also came with a bonus episode, which was the X Men episode of the old Spider Man cartoon series. So you got. Kind of a double whammy of X Men have been in, in you know on on this kind of bigger media, the TV medium, a couple of times before uh, before Fox rolled the dice in the nineties. Wow! But did it? It obviously didn't inspire you to go out and, and buy the comics. Did you get any of the cool toys or anything on the I, back of the cartoon series? Because they were everywhere. I swear we must have had a Wolverine about the house. I saw, I, you know, you know when you somehow you look back on toys you had and you have no recollection of how you got access to some of them, whether it was a present, yeah. whether you actually got it yourself. I swear we had a Wolverine somewhere because I know we had Batman. We had lots of Batman. Yeah, yeah. The Batman, uh, the Batman thing had, had always had had that that extra level of you know because by the time that you're you're growing up, there's been at least one of the big movies, you know, and the cartoon been out and all that kind of stuff, isn't there? So. Mm. It's knocking around the Batman, isn't it? Oh yeah, totally, totally. I mean, Batman is an incredible, incredibly good uh, toy toy esque franchise, next to Star Wars. Yeah, I, I, I think X. You got to think though, X Men should should lend itself more because you've got seven, eight characters to draw on and to do different things with, rather than okay, what do we do for this quarter of the year? What if Batman wears a snowsuit? Yes, we call him. Arctic Adventure Batman. Yeah, fine. Let's just Jesus. I don't even know anymore, Barry. I've done re- six hundred different Batman costumes. I don't even care anymore. I remember those. I I do I do remember in the back of like a I think it was Sonic the Comic. I used to get Sonic the Comic because uh, I I loved I loved Sonic as a kid. Still love him now. 
Uh, and in the back, they always had the toy advert or something, and they had the X-Men action figures, but you could get... What was the name of their jet? Was it just the X-Jet or the Falcon or something? The Blackbird. The Blackbird, because it was actually a Blackbird. That's an actual Blackbird. That's an actual plane, the Blackbird, isn't it? I have Will, we do this every episode. Yeah, I, know, I know. I have no frame of reference outside of comic books. <laughs> <laughs> and you keep trying to force engineering facts onto me every time. Hey, you're going to need you're gonna uh, need I've got some stuff. architecture. I just want to run through some architecture with you. I sound like I'm your dad or something. And they go, <laughs> you learn nothing from those comics. Let me tell you about planes. Now, the Blackbird, Let me tell you about the real world. Sit, sit down. The Blackbird was actually a, a high-altitude reconnaissance craft used by the US Air Force. And well, it, it does look like it does look like that. If I, it, I might, I might be wrong, but I swear it's called the Blackbird. But yeah, you could get a does toy it, does version it turn of that. Invisible? Uh, it's not invisible. It's not hidden under a tennis court either. Wow, <laughs> what's the point then? Exactly. What is the Thunderbirding point? Exactly, and it's not a VTOL either. Unlike the X Men. Oh, sorry. Vertical takeoff and landing. <laughs> what? Okay, cool. Is that what happened? Oh yeah, it goes up. Up and down. Right? Oh yeah, because it can't. It's got no runway. Mm. Yeah, no runway. Yeah, no. That, that the real uh, Blackbird. You need a runway for. I, I find most planes need a runway. Um, most planes. Yeah. Most planes. The, yeah. The cool yeah. ones don't. The cool ones just go up and then rock music straight plays. Up. <laughs> straight up. Straight down. Straight does up. It, does that mean you can do a vertical, like a vertical landing then? Vertical takeoff and landing. Smash into the ground straight down. Well, yeah. Well, basically, you, you fly low and slow down, and the propulsion jets just change angle at ninety degrees. So it's like a helicopter. I think. I, I think we're really. Uh, <laughs> we really need to make sure that we we might need to edit out a lot of this engineering waffle at the start of the show uh, before we uh, we get into the stuff that people tune in for and download us for. Um, speaking of which, man, we uh, we've had because we what we also like to do is get out there. And see what you guys are saying about this, um, these episodes and about these uh, movies that we're taking ourselves a look at. And uh, Will, you've got some fan feedback there. I do. I have about. Uh, I have a handful. I have a handful from the massive sack sat next to me. Uh, well, let's. I mean, before we get there, actually, let's go to the people that have paid for the privilege. Ooh. Let's get around to these individuals let's get it i mean our favorite this is people. the podcast that, that keeps giving right <laughs> yeah seven episodes in five weeks boom say something over 11 hours of marvel versus marvel we bought you the entire phase one of the mcu that's in the archive you can go back any any time during lockdown i mean we're there for you during lockdown we got eleven eleven hours of content. We've got two hours twenty on some episodes. We've got one hour fifty on other. You know, we've we've done it all for you. And we've started you down the detour with Blade, but Marvel before the MCU. But we just can't stop giving. We just can't stop giving. Lord, and that's why we've we tried. created our special site over on Patreon.com. P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Patreon.com. So we can give you even more so much more history trivia wild stories and we put that all together on our marvel blogs over on the patreon site together with images of everything we talk about on the show if you want to know what the hate monger looks like from the captain america episode head over to patreon 
If you think we're lying about the Hulk pretending to be a robot clown mm-hmm. in Avengers, head over to Patreon. It's all there. Patreon.com slash Marvel versus Marvel. New blogs added every single week. We've got the original ending to the Blade movie that we talked about. That's up there for you guys to see. We're not pulling this stuff out of our arse. You can go and check it out. We're dealing in facts here. Physical, visual images. The blog for the X-Men episode that we're on right now will be up there for you to check out. And Anyone can access those blogs, take a look at them, and get this. What do we do this week, Will? We added a bonus episode of Marvel vs. Marvel to Patreon, tackling something we touched on in that Captain America episode that so many people downloaded. Steve Rogers, not the only man to wear the red, white, and blue, not the only man to carry the shield and be Captain America. We detail the history of those stories, those four or five men that carried on the legacy of Captain America, or maybe even tarnished it, dare we say. (laughs) Quite a bit. And that episode is exclusively... For our patrons, the people who nut up, reach into their pockets and supply this podcast with cold, hard cash. The stuff that keeps the lights on around here lets us pay for hosting, lets us pay for storage space. Those blogs are up every week, completely available to anyone. But if you want bonus episodes, then you're going to need to do the right thing and show support for this for this show. And someone who supported this show since day one, Peter J. Burns, our very first at the time, if you can recall, the first guy to step up, do the right thing, Peter J. Burns. And he writes in to let his know, I mean, he, he's uh, written in once or twice before, but he wants to let us know about his journey with Marvel, his journey with comic books in general. And because he's a man who's paying to keep the lights on, we're going to indulge him. Because <laughs> uh, he's a patron around these parts, VIP. And uh, Pete Burns writes, As a kid, I'd always had a fascination with the comic strips and newspapers. In my hometown, one of the newspapers produced a mini weekly paper that was just these cartoon strips. I think it was called Fun Times. My favourite was Hagar the Horrible. However, it wasn't until me and a friend saw, purchased and read the British reprints of Secret Wars that my obsession started. Well, we've heard this time and again when we're looking for feedback that Secret Wars was somehow huge in this country, in England, in Britain, um, in terms of those reprints on the newsstands, grabbing people and drawing them in their first taste of the Marvel, Marvel experience, Marvel Universe. This, for me, was an incredible introduction to Marvel superheroes and comic books in general. We were by each issue every week, every week, and endlessly discuss it. It was a great introduction because each issue had a fact file on a different hero or villain, not to mention a story that introduced all the major players. I still have most of the issues of Secret Wars. They're in a sorry state. Then came the discovery, the original source material, American comics, but nowhere to get them. (laughs) It's my early collection. Very random, old and new Marvel and DC, all purchased from charity shops, second-hand bookshops, petrol stations, anywhere I could go to get my fix. (laughs) (laughs) It's also why for years I did not make a distinction between the two companies. They were just comic book, American comic book companies. I marveled, pun intended, 
<laughs> at the use of art and words and plot lines, discovering something new all the time. And the ran- randomness of my collection gave me these little bits of trivia that I also loved. Imagine the first time I entered a comic shop that not that only catered to comic books. I instantly fell for the art in Electra, not to mention the story and the old Shield stuff by Jim Steranko. He used photographs. And Nick Fury was absolutely insane. That's right, Jim Steranko would, would incorporate photographs, collages of photos into his comic book artwork. Um, deeply innovative and really, really grabbing, you know, eye-catching mm. when you see it. Pete goes on to say, some awesome team-ups. Uh, also, my favourite being Doctor Doom and Doctor Strange. Highlights for me how comic books can have a plot line lie dormant for years and then boom, suddenly drag it back for whatever reason. These characters have such a varied past that it's nice to see it used and reused, respun and retwisted. My first introduction to films was all that stuff from the 70s and 80s. TV and TV movies, none of it good. But all of it gave a chance to see live action versions of my favourite characters and at the time that had to be enough until Blade and X-Men and Spider-Man. Then 2008 and the beginning of the MCU. Two bits of trivia that I want to share with you guys. Nick Fury was originally not going to be the man from S.H.I.E.L.D. He was going to be Nick Fury, a man called Death. And he spelled Death like an acronym, D-E-A-T-H. But Stan and Jack found the title a little lacking, and thus S.H.I.E.L.D. was born. And from your last episode, Blade, the comic book code forced DC to give Marv Wolfman a writer's credit on an old House of Secrets issue from 1969. Anybody getting a credit as an individual was very rare back then and could be the theme of a podcast in its own right. In what way, Pete? In what <laughs> way <laughs> could could writing credit be a podcast? So we're doing two hours on writing credits? I don't think so, man. We will Thank not rest channel, until but... everything is a podcast, <laughs> just like West End musicals. Pete says you were still not allowed to use or mention vampires and werewolves at the time. The story is told by a travelling wolfman, and the comic book code authority did not like this. It was the scriptwriter's name, so DC managed to get away with it. So that's a fascinating little uh, bit of trivia from Pete J. Burns. He goes on to say, I love this podcast. I hope you continue to do them for a good, good while. It's an awesome podcast. Please, please keep it going. Well, thank you, you, Pete. Everyone out there needs to give a round of applause to Pete and all the other patrons because they're paying for stuff that you're not. <laughs> you're freeloading off their hard-earned money. So maybe we do a, a weekly clap for the patrons of this podcast. <laughs> um, and Will, you've got a burgeoning sack of fan mail over there. Why don't you hit us with a couple? A couple of uh, a couple from uh, unpaid listeners. <laughs> We're not going to boo them. We're not going to boo them. You, you, you're good. You're good. Uh, Rob Tom says, The cartoon on Live and Kicking was where I first heard of X-Men. I am also a childhood Gambit fan who, is re- who has recently found out uh, he was actually a right knob thanks to Disney+. Plus. <laughs> Why? What's on Disney+, Plus about Gambit? I, I don't know. Maybe re-watching the X-Men on Disney+, Plus just makes uh, you realise. Right. Sorry. Yes, of course. Yeah. yeah. I guess now, yeah, all these X-Men cartoons are available on the Disney+. Plus. Um, listen, I don't want to give any... I'm not sure when we'll... I don't know if we'll tackle Gambit at all. On Even on the on the uh, detour, maybe, hopefully, we'll get to the cartoon series one day, if enough people are interested in it. Um, I'm just going to say two words. Gambit, war criminal. 
He's a war criminal. He should be up in the Hague. Um, I'm not sure if we're ever going to get to it. I'm just going to leave it there. And hopefully we'll, we'll, we'll eventually encounter the character enough to go into it. Gambit, um, the Tony Blair of mutants. <laughs> much worse. <laughs> uh, Any more? Anybody? Yeah, for yeah. the cast, I've got some. I got uh, one from David Ferguson who writes in to say that my f- ah my first encounter with the X Men was with the Incredible Hulk magazine, a UK tie-in to the Hulk television show. I was mesmerised by Storm in her original costume. Then, on, then on holiday at a holiday camp resort, and the news agent there had a copy of Uncanny X Men one hundred and sixty-four. Ooh, ooh. Captivated by Storm's original costume, we we pick up what you're laying down there, Dave. Uh, we know, we hear you. We know what's going on. Uh, we've all seen the costume. I haven't um, seen the we're costume. Just leave it there. Have you not seen the costume? Well, we'll take. Well, maybe that'll be a little. Maybe that'll be a bonus episode. Rob takes Will through pervy costumes of the seventies. Fantastic! <laughs> Finally. Now we've got a lot to get through with this episode. Um, let me just uh, before we go any further, yep. though, we're going we're to take a little uh, look into the publication history of uh, of the X Men and how we got here, how we get to where we are in the year two thousand with this 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 uh, groundbreaking movie coming out that really really set the table for movie producers Hollywood to look at comic book properties and superheroes and say, yeah, that's what we want. It's 1963, when uh, X-Men first comes out. I mean, Marvel have already had big success, Will, with Fantastic Four, as we discussed, Spider-Man, Iron Man, Hulk. So Stan Lee decides he's going to create another team book, because that was what was popular. We said before, uh, Justice League had become popular, and Fantastic Four was a big hit as well. So at this point, Stan and Jack had already created a series of, of... Bizarre origins for every character. Ant Man, you know, the, mm. the, there's a radioactive spider bite and a rocket ship accident and a gamma bomb and heart shrapnel. <laughs> and basically, they didn't want to have to do that all over again in one book for four or five characters. So, as essentially a time saving exercise, <laughs> Stanley came up with one way to explain all powers in one roll of the dice, one origin for every character, mm. right? And it was okay. They were born with their powers. They they are mutated. They are mutated people. Yes. We talked before uh, about how uh, it, it's really obvious when you when you when you go back and take a look that Marvel Comics were the black mirror of their day. You know, oh, they were the black mirror of the sixties. Twisted science fiction tales with fears ripped from their headlines. The same year that Stan and Jack create the X Men, America, Britain, and the Soviet Union signed the partial test ban treaty limiting the scope of nuclear weapons testing which had been rife since the end of the of the second world war right throughout the 50s mm. you know the press was full of stories about the testings that had taken place all over the globe the manhattan project um there's testing in new mexico in nevada um the castle bravo um incident out in the pacific ocean which is really messed up oh they i didn't know about bomb. that Sorry. They tested a bomb out there on an uninhabited island and it ended up being like three or four times more powerful than they ever imagined. And the fallout was carried out towards Japan. Um there's scores of fishermen that were caught up in the in the in the fallout. Horrific. 
Uh, Russia were testing in Kazakhstan. All of Ka- Kazakhstan was like their nuclear test zone. You know, so the world had begun to see the dangerous results of radiation exposure. Mm. And that's the basis for these characters. That's the idea that this nuclear testing all over the world has irradiated people without them knowing it, which was the huge fear of the 50s and 60s. And then their children are born with these mutations. And these mutations in the Marvel Universe present as exciting powers rather than cancer. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Which is the realistic, you know, thing that would happen. Um, The idea of mutation does get muddied over the decades. It becomes more popular in the X-Men comics to focus on this idea that they're the next stage in human evolution, which is some of the first words said in this movie. Um, And and that kind of becomes... That that replaces this idea of mutation, really. It really does. Um, that becomes the more the more fantastical element that the, the, the writers and, and fans gravitate towards. Um, the original X Men sees Professor X teaching five teenagers, and again, we're well, right at that time when teenagers are a really exciting new concept, um, and that's kind of what Marvel wants to be doing and writing about. You've got. Spider-Man, and that's it. There are no other teenage superheroes. So, Stan throws five out there in one go. Cyclops, Beast, Angel, Iceman, and Marvel Girl, Jean Grey. And they, they, you know, they, they battle evil mutants, and they have a, a lot of classic pre-war superhero issues. They mm. have secret identities, for one. They all wear masks, and, and that's a big deal. And it's less of a big deal in the way that other secret identities are oh my enemies will come and they'll target my families that's the kind of the the batman idea and the superman idea this is more to do with uh mutants are lynched by lynch mobs yeah they are by in in suburban areas metropolitan areas it is full of of, of fear so angel who has these great big glorious bird wings has to strap and bind the wings to his back with these like leather straps if he wants to go out in public beast isn't covered in blue fur yet uh beast that doesn't happen to beast until the 70s mm. but he's got these abnormal hands and feet and he's very thick and stocky so he always has to hide he's got simian monkey like hands and feet he has to s- bind his feet and he has to oh. hide his hands in gloves and things so they all work at maintaining these secret identities as normal teenagers sometimes even from their own parents who think that their kids are going to like a boarding school rather than you know if they play they don't know their kids are mutants basically there's the classic stanley tortured love triangle uh, because we all know Stanley's <laughs> bread and butter, them romance comics. He never gave up on them from the fifties. So Cyclops, Marvel Girl, and Angel are stuck in this love triangle. But um, to be fair to it, the X Men comics kind of suck. They are not Stan and Jack's best work at all. Okay. They lack a huge amount of what is present in. Iron Man, Spider-Man, even the Avengers. And towards the end of the 60s, sales are terrible. Marvel cancels the book. Uh, the, the characters graduate from Xavier's school, and that's kind of it. They're done. Um, they crop up in other, in other comics here and there, 
And they have this vibe of, yeah, my name's Scott. I used to be a superhero. Now I'm in marketing. I'm retired. You know, there's no more X-Men for five years. And then in 1975, Marvel bringing uh, Len Wein and Dave Cochran to relaunch the X-Men series. Uh, Len Wein had already created Swamp Thing for DC Comics. And he created a character to appear in two issues of The Hulk. Mm. A bizarre Canadian superhero called the Wolverine and uh, Ween and Cochran created a brand new cast of mutants to replace the old team uh, Ween reused Wolverine who was not a mutant in his first appearances not intended to be a mutant nothing like that he going okay I can, ha- I, can, I, can, I like the design of this character let's use this character with the claws so they go he's a mutant now and uh, he's putting a team with Storm, Nightcrawler Colossus, Thunderbird and Sunfire um, and that's a very diverse group then you've got a Canadian, a Russian a Kenyan, someone from Japan a German and a Native American and they are all fighting each other <laughs> as much as they are the enemy and almost I mean before before what happened next happened, the X-Men were kind of a blip they could very easily have faded away into absolute obscurity. And I don't want to take anything away from what Stan and Jack did in the 60s and, and the ideas they created, you know, Magneto and, and, and the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants and all this kind of stuff, and the very idea of mutants. But the, the most important moment, probably the second most important moment in the history of the X-Men comes after a couple of issues of this relaunch series where Marvel hand writing duties over to Chris Claremont. Okay. Chris Claremont really is the father of the X-Men. He writes the book for 16 years. Way more than Stan did. He creates an absolute golden age. It's akin to the 100 issues that Stan and Jack did on Fantastic Four. Where they created not just the Fantastic Four. But issue after issue they go. "Uh, Next issue here's Wakanda and and Black Panther. (laughs) And the issue after that. Oh, here's the Negative Zone and Annihilus and Blastar. And after that, here's Galactus and the Silver Surfer. And bam, 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 bam. They are knocking out these incredible sci-fi ideas. That's the 100-issue run of Stan and, and, and Jack on Fantastic Four. It's, it's incredible. Right up there with that, for my money, is Clement writing X-Men for 16 years. He creates Rogue, Gambit, Mystique, Mr. Sinister, Sabretooth, um, scores more. He gets... To my mind, and you know what, to everyone's mind, he gets all the credit for turning Wolverine into this incredibly popular anti-hero and megastar. Yeah. Because when he was created, he had none of that. What right? was he? He was intended to be... He's a, he's a secret agent uh, superhero for the CIA, and he's got claws. That's it. Uh. And it's when Claremont takes over that he goes... Um, He's got a healing ability, and and he's 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 been alive for a long time, and he's got amnesia, and he and he's and he's gruff, and he's angry, and he doesn't like people, and all of that. Clement writes the Phoenix Saga. He writes Days of Future Past. He writes the Proteus Saga. Huge stories, huge science fiction stories. He gives the X Men this incredible scope to go out into space with the Shi'ar Empire, and gives them the connection over there. He doesn't just create these amazing sci-fi stories, though. He makes the soap opera drama of the team the most exciting part and important part of the book. Mm. Just like Stan and Jack did in the 60s with the ones that worked. (laughs) And 
under Claremont, the X-Men books in the 80s become Marvel's top-selling book from being cancelled in the 60s to the biggest-selling title that Marvel are doing. It spawns other top-selling series, like Wolverine gets his own series, and then there's the X-Factor series, and the New Mutants series, and eventually the X-Force series. X-Men, under Claremont, becomes a brand that sells. The Marvel Universe has summer crossovers. Every summer, a big crossover where all the superheroes get together and it sells well. X-Men were the only ones that got their own crossovers and didn't take part in the other ones because they're a brand that was almost as big as the rest of Marvel on their own. Mm. They, 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 were, they were almost kind of separate, even though they're not. It's all the same universe, but they were, they were, they were in the 80s, they were just huge. And in 1991, Marvel tapped Claremont to launch a second X-Men comic. They've got Uncanny X-Men, which you've been writing. We want to do another one just simply called X-Men. And they launched that with Claremont and a superstar artist called Jim Lee. Issue 1, 1991, issue 1 of X-Men, that book becomes the biggest selling comic book of all time. And it still is today. Mm. It sells over 8 million copies in 1991 of a single one issue series, not single one, but one issue sells so 8 million copies and you know he he really is you know, transformed he turned X-Men to a franchise and all everyone's favourite memories of the X-Men are from Clement writing it are genuinely you know that's what turned it into and it's off the back of that popularity that in you know it gets the the cartoon series it gets the the pilot um, Pride of the Avengers and that success of that and the success of this comic inspires Fox to kind of give it a, a go as a as a cartoon series um, sadly in the 90s Marvel makes the mistake of letting both Claremont and Jim Lee leave the, leave the X-Men and they, they, they see the X-Men as a license to print money, they start churning out spin-off, more and more spin-off comics almost every character gets a separate series and just dilute the stories, dilute the characters um, they don't necessarily they don't have enough cohesion they don't have one mind behind the whole um, book like they did when it was just Claremont and so storylines are set up open ended and never finished and they go on for years and years and years and you never get a payoff and the X-Men line just becomes woefully convoluted and very bloated and it, and it really I mean it. luckily Marvel goes bankrupt and everything kind of gets covered up by how terrible the whole company is in the 90s but it's really really uh, a shame that it was so easily and quickly um, urinated up the wall everything that had been <laughs> built from, from the 70s through the 80s mm. um, but the nugget that comes out of that is that the cartoon series sold on the, on the success of the comic books becomes a huge success, great ratings spawns, spawns top selling toy lines and merchandise like lunch boxes and thermoses and, and collectors cups and they have the, they have a McDonald's toy deal yep. you know that was a big thing in the day oh that's where I and got that, the toy from <laughs> there you go and that convinces Fox Studios because of this success to purchase the movie rights mm. that's why we're doing this detour because it's all connected you can't just look at the MCU films to understand how we got here you, you, you've got to go back further you've got to say the MCU happened because of movies like X-Men and and the X-Men movie happened because of the 90s cartoon series and, and that happened because of the comic books and Marvel's been taking over popular culture for decades 
It's not new. That's why the detour is here. On that journey. So there we go. That's how we get to the year 2000 and this movie. That was a long journey. Oh, it was a long journey, brother. Yeah. Should we press play? Should <laughs> I think we get should going? press play. Let's get going on the deep dive. So, we start the film. In Nazi-occupied Poland in 1944, young Eric Lenscher is separated from his parents upon entrance into the Auschwitz concentration camp. While he attempts to reach them, he causes a set of metal gates to bend towards him. The young boy is knocked out by the guards and all goes black. I will say for a start that this is a strong start to a superhero film. It's incredible. I, 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 you know, we talked about these and Pete, uh, one of our patrons said how things were in the 70s and the 80s with these TV movies. Everything's cheesy. Yep. Everything's yep. like rubbish and kind of like not serious. This is such a bold, bold, serious, dark star. It really kind of, I think, it blew me away when I saw it for the first time. Oh, same, same. It, it's, it just made you go, ah. Be- because you think of superhero, you think of, oh, they exist in their own city, their own kind of universe. But to bring it into line, into the same space as one of the most awful atrocities of, of modern history, makes you go, ah. It's not that fantastical. Yeah. There is a real anchor to this story. And that's what I loved about it. It's also what I loved, uh, maybe what I loved about the X Men a lot was even with a lot of the villains, there is a logic behind them. I know uh, as we go further down in Marvel, there is logic behind a lot of the villains as they as they grow, as they get. Uh, uh, by the time they reach the film stage, anyway, there's a lot of uh, logic and backstory to them. But I mean, to to have have your bad guy, have your man, your bad guy in the X Men, essentially be a Holocaust survivor. You start to go, ah, I can see where his anger comes from. <laughs> I can see why he's misanthropy. Sure, yeah. yeah, it's. I, I I think it's a fantastically bold move. It's yeah, it, it really is. It's great. I mean, I mean, I mean, it's a start. The start off that that it, it, it's a gut punch. You feel sad, but you know it's gonna. The stuff's gonna happen. Or everything's gonna tie together. But yeah, great, great, great start. Powerful start. Pa- really is powerful yeah. start. So. Uh, with that in mind, Rob, is this a, actually a scene from the comic book? So, is Magneto connected to the Holocaust, or did they just add this to the film? Um, t- to begin with, he, Magneto is just a cackling. He's a cackling madman, Ugh. like a lot of other '60s villains. Yeah. Um, his motivations are: he does want he does want to he, he wants to kill all humans. Yeah. Um, and there is this thing of yes, I've been persecuted. They don't go into specifics, but his motivations are personal revenge, and he wants to kill humans and, and take over the, the world. Now, in modern interviews, Stanley has said things like, "Oh, I, I never viewed him as a vigor, as a villain. He was always a, a, a political figure, like a grey area character." Mm. And to that, I have to call BS. <laughs> I have to say bull s. Yeah. Stan does an awful lot of this. I, listen, I love Stanley, and I think he is a genius and a, and a really an incredible visionary and writer. Yeah. But this happens a lot with Stanley's writing. Nothing in his text 
He's the JK to a certain extent. He's the JK <laughs> Rowling. And Magneto nothing, was always a homosexual. <laughs> nothing in his text supports the things that he goes on. Like, the character gets changed by decades of other writers doing sophisticated storytelling. And then Stan wades in in like 2010 and says, Yep, yeah, that's what I always intended. And it's like, No, you didn't, Stan. I've read him. <laughs> He's a straight up supervillain madman idiot. He is not meant to be a sympathetic Auschwitz survivor. <laughs> it's 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 not it's not until Chris Claremont's run that we see this brand new background for Magneto. We see him as a survivor of Nazi concentration camps and we get this new explanation for his hatred of mankind. Um there's a, there's a fun moment during well, I say fun. It gets really dark. I'm going to take that. I'm going to walk that one back. Will there's Ooh. a very dark moment during um, during the crossover storyline called Acts of Vengeance, where a lot of supervillains end up working together. Mm. Magneto's part of that, and one of the other supervillains he's working with is the Red Skull. And after confirming during the plot that that this Red Skull is the original Nazi Red Skull who worked with Hitler, Magneto abandons the supervillain plan and buries the Red Skull alive. And he's like, no. Not working with you. <laughs> so this is this is part of the comics, but it's not part of the I, I it's not part of the original vision. It gets and it gets added um yeah later on, but it, it does make the character that much more impactful. Oh yeah, yeah, totally, totally. So we continue. In the not too distant future, US Senator Robert Kelly attempts to pass a mutant registration act in Congress which would force mutants to reveal their identities and abilities. Present are Lensha, now going by the name Magneto, and his telepathic colleague, Professor Charles Xavier. Xavier sees Lensha in audience and is concerned... Sorry, in attendance, and is concerned with how he will respond to the Registration Act. Obviously not well, because it mirrors what happened in <laughs> Nazi Germany. I mean, you might yeah. as well get the mutants to wear stars on their uh, their clothing. That's that. Yeah, exactly. That. But could but could I just say? Could I just say that seeing Sir Ian McKellen and Patrick Stewart together is easily one of the greatest things about this film series? What? I mean, I, I know I gush a lot about the casting in these films, but come on, two fantastic. Actors, thespians, if you will, together at the same time. I'm going to be very controversial now. Oh, here we go. And I love him. I and I understand the reasoning, and it's because mm. they have tied the character to at least 1945. But uh, McKellen's too just too old, and 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 he's not. He's not. He just isn't too old for the role. He's not imposing enough. He's not as much of a physical presence, to my mm. mind. He he's very very good at the sinister, kind of the sinister aspect of it. He's a little too playful for my liking, and he's just some some scenes are absolutely incredible because his acting is 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 unquestionable. Yeah, but I. I just think he's a, he looks frail the whole time, <laughs> the whole movie. He looks frail, like he's walking around sort of a wire wire work because he can't actually. St- he doesn't stomp. He doesn't stride. He doesn't. He doesn't burst into a room. He, he doesn't. I don't know. Yeah, and I, maybe the character doesn't need to because he can mag- magnetically lift people and stuff. But yeah. Okay, if you could, who would play Magneto? Who would be? Who would? You- I've not. I, 
I've no idea. I've really not thought of it. I, I, I just, I just know at the time I felt it, and when we, re- when I rewatched it, I did think maybe it's more heightened now because I know how old he is now. But yeah. I, Xavier looks bob on the whole way through. I mean, we always saw uh, Patrick Stewart playing Charles Xavier, didn't yeah. we? It's one of yeah. those things like, yeah, just get just get Patrick Stewart to do it. Him, him off Star Trek, you know, Baldy, Baldy Captain. Yeah, Baldy sits down a lot. That fella. <laughs> Um, yeah, he's got half the role down already. He sits down a lot absolutely. on Star Trek. I would pay him less. <laughs> you're not walking around, sunshine. You're going to get a bit of a yeah less money. Yeah. But no, I, I, I again, I, I love McAllen, but it just, I, he doesn't quite click for me in this role. I, I, to- I, I do get you. I do totally get you on that. I'm well, also not that much of a fan of Fassbender in the role later on, but there I, we go. I was going to ask you, but I, I, I don't think Fassbender's that good an actor anyway. I. I but that's that's for another time. That's for a time. That's on the Preston versus Fastbender podcast. Uh, also, <laughs> with this whole mutant registration act, um, have have mutants been a secret thing until recent history? In according to this, uh, it, yeah, that's crazy. I mean, obviously, yeah. there's a whole deep story that we could probably go down involving that. But I'll, I'll save that for another time. I think. But that is crazy how they kept secret secret for so long. Well, again, it's because in the original interpretation of the characters in the mm. comic books, they were directly linked to nuclear radiation. Yeah. So they could only come about, you know, because it's meant to be brought on by puberty, mm. they could only come about um, like 15 years after the Manhattan Project. Right. That would make so sense. that's where it comes from. That does get changed. And as you go down, as they, as they abandon... The idea of uh, mutants being based in radiation and it becomes all the next step in human evolution, you do start to see uh, ancient mutants and things like that. So there's a little discrepancy going on there. Yeah, I I, I see it as a way of opening up the story a bit more, but I totally get what you mean. So the idea of registering mutants like a gun, obviously really interesting. Uh, does that play a role in the comic books? Uh, and also, is Senator Kelly someone we should know? Yes and yes. They're, they're both very important in the comics. The Mutant Registration Act, Senator Kelly, particularly for the Days of Future Past storyline, which is a huge mm. milestone in, 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 in X-Men comics. Oh, yes. Another Chris Claremont story and, and character introduced in the 80s. Um, Senator Kelly is vehemently anti-mutant and a, and a bigot, much like he's presented here. In fact, worse than he's presented here, really. Mm. Um, he proposes this act of tracking down and registering all mutants and the mutant population. The, the, the whole everybody, every mutant is really opposed to this, and it, and several characters because this runs for several issues um, to build up to something, and several issues, uh, several characters, sorry, are are said, uh, are, are say say uh, registration today, gas chambers tomorrow. Yeah, that's the line that is repeated. There's a, a huge fear of this, particularly in, you know, uh, the the kind of more terrorist side of the mutant X Men kind of wheel. Marvel runs ads on there in their comic books on the ad pages in the in the in the eighties. So in a comic book, if you've never read a comic book before, and we have hashtag no gatekeeping, if you've never read a comic <laughs> book before, as well as the actual pages of stories, every couple of pages there'll be a page of adverts. For whatever, you know, sometimes it'll be a full page, sometimes it'll be half a page. Marvel took out adverts in their own comic books, a half page advert 
that was not part of the story. They're very powerful. They're made to look like an American party political style ad campaign. Ooh. And it's it's got it's got four children's faces on it. Four innocent children's faces. And on one of the children's faces, graffiti is scrawled across it that just says what is a slur in the X-Men comics, mutie. Mutie, yeah. And a, above it that says, in bold text, it says, it's 1987, do you know what your children are? And underneath, paid for by citizens in support of the Mutant Registration Act. And they run these adverts in all the Marvel comics. It Because it exists outside of the story page, it's that much more impactful. And it looks... It looks horrible. It really does. Oh, I, yeah. I, re, I, I remembered it from when I was a kid. I looked up the image and head over to Patreon because we've got it up there on the blog. Um, it, it is genuinely a horrible thing to see and it, it's very striking. It really hits you with the racism and the bigotry of this. And so this storyline fostered so much discontent that it was clear Senator Kennedy's life is in danger in the 80s. And that's what kicks off Days of Future Past in the comic books, Kitty Pride comes back from the future to warn the X-Men that Mystique is going to assassinate Senator Kelly and that will usher in the Registration Act and concentration camps and sentinels hunting mutants down the streets. So Senator Kelly is a big, important figure. The Mutant Registration Act keeps getting brought up again and again in, in Marvel Comics. Mm. And eventually, we'll get over to the main side of the Marvel Universe... And around the time of the Civil War in Marvel, morphs into the Superhero Registration Act, which comes after anyone wearing a mask and trying to save people. Yes, yes. Was that uh, was that was that a uh, Civil War? Was it? With yeah, the, the Civil War. Super, superhero Registration Act. So it's just that like, uh, quite a few superhero franchises have something similar going on, where they go, "Ah, we've got to have a law." Involved with superheroes now. To add I'm that- telling you now, it all come. It all comes from Clement and, yeah. and this X-Men story in the 80s. It's absolutely brilliant. The way he put his foot, you know, he put the pedal to the metal on the idea of bigotry and uh, racism, and really tied things back into horrible world events. It's it's just it's a, it's a honestly it's a stunning 16 year run. Oh yeah, I, not I, every not every single thing is brilliant. And rereading it, you know, it doesn't always resonate with a modern ear, but it's still wonderfully powerful ideas. Oh, totally. I, I always saw, uh, when I got around to watching all the X-Men films, I always started to realise, oh, this is an allegory for uh, bigotry. This is an allegory for uh, homophobia, racism. And it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah it, it totally works. Totally works like that. Uh, and uh, that, that really was Stan's intent from the start. It's I mean, proper intent. Him little, it's pr- not him, uh, yeah, not him going little, years you know, later. I gave Stan a little, a little bit of crap there. For, he, he does like to rewrite history to make himself even greater than he already is. But no, he, he really is in there from the start. There are lynch mobs attacking children in those early 1960s comic books. That is what the X-Men is based on. It's, it's, it's very powerful to read. Mm. Oh, totally. So back to the movie. In Mississippi, 17-year-old Marie accidentally puts her boyfriend into a coma after she We've kissed all been him. there. We've all accidentally put our boyfriends into a coma. Yeah. Nothing special, Marie. <laughs> nothing no, nothing wrong, nothing wrong with someone falling asleep when you're trying to have sex with them. That's <laughs> 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 Dropping truth. 
Dropping truth bombs, Big Willy P. I'm dropping truth bombs, and the shrapnel <laughs> is hurting me. <laughs> so he, he basically puts him into a coma after he kisses him, basically draining the life force from anything she touches. Terrified of hurting anyone else, Marie runs away from home and adopts the name Rogue. So this is a character I know from the cartoons, so I'm very aware of her. Uh, I, I always found her to be very tragic. I mean, she was very sassy and confident, and the accent they gave her in the cartoons was very sexy, especially because she's kind of a redhead as well. So, yeah. But it's very, tra- yeah, very tragic. I don't thing. want to alienate our wonderful female audience, Will, but uh, virtual high five on that one. <laughs> <laughs> I don't mean it in a kind of leering way. I'm just saying she's very, very... I mean, yeah. I mean, you don't mean it in a leering way, Will, but it's impossible to get away from the fact... <laughs> That it is a lyric. I mean, there's no other way of doing. She has a sexy voice and she looks hot and she's a cartoon. There's, look, we can't become that podcast. No, we can't. I, I'm going to keep digging my hole though. <laughs> no, yeah, but, <laughs> but, but as, I, as, as I say, in my point, she is so it's so tragic. The fact she can't have human contact is it's it, it, it's like a it's almost like a fairy tale. Are you feeling that right now in lockdown, folks? <laughs> the the no. pain of not knowing human contact. Because I don't know about you, but. This is rough. <laughs> That's why we're here for you each and every episode. <laughs> Rogue was a walking lockdown analogy in the 80s oh. and the 90s. Oh, God. Oh, God. So, uh, Rogue is quite different from the adult cartoon version. A lot of people remember from the 90s. I mean, she is very, she is obviously very young here. Uh, in the cartoon, she can fly and she's super strong. Like, which version of Rogue? is closest to the comics like what what we're we seeing here yeah it's because i mean well she's in the title sequence of the of the x-men cartoon flying into the screen and punching things and mm. you know she's got the full costume but also a that cool jacket you yeah know. cartoon rogue is much closer to the comics than movie rogue okay. um rogue first appears as a member of mystique's terrorist group the brotherhood of evil mutants She's actually raised by Mystique. Um, and Mystique's absolutely, definitely lesbian girlfriend, but Marvel have only just had the balls to admit that. <laughs> Destiny. Um, yeah. Destiny and Mystique raise Rogue from a very early age. Um, Mystique sends Rogue to attack Carol Danvers, hmm. who you might know as Captain Marvel, but yep. at the time of the story, we know in the comic books as Ms. Marvel. And Rogue attacks Carol Danvers, literally on her doorstep, and steals her powers. Now, because of how powerful Danvers is, Rogue has to hold on to her for a lot longer than normal to mm. drain all of that power. Because if she lets go too early, Ms. Marvel's going to kick her ass. So she, she, because, she's, because she's grabbing and making physical contact with Danvers for so long, she doesn't just absorb her powers and some of her memories. She kind of takes... Like her whole psyche into herself. She absorbs every memory. She absorbs so much of her essence and power. And then Rogue tosses Carol Danvers off the Golden Gate Bridge and Ooh. is like, I've got superpowers now. Now she's got super she's got all of Captain Marvel's powers, roughly. She's super strong, she's invulnerable, she can fly. And as soon as she's done that, she takes the power, turns round, beats the snot out of Thor and the rest of the Avengers, and is like Guess I'm the most powerful mutant around now. Cool. Wait a um, minute. She threw Carol Danvers off a bridge after after get, sucking her powers. Yep. 
I thought she was a good guy. No, we just said at the start of this she's part of she's part of Mystique's Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. She's a terrorist. Terrorist. Are you paying attention? No, <laughs> obviously <laughs> no, not. She's part of, yeah, she's part of Mystique's uh, band of terrorists, the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. Mystique sends her to drain Carol Danvers's life energy, and beats up the Avengers. And from then on, every time Rogue uses her powers, she's haunted by the memories of all the people she's she's drained over the years. Mm. And the Carol Danvers memories become this separate, like, psychic entity within her. Like a psychic ghost that haunts her all the time. Constantly yapping away, you shouldn't be doing that! Uh, so, <laughs> she goes to Professor X for help, because Mystique, Destiny, the rest of the Brotherhood cannot help her. So she goes to the X-Men and says... Hi, I know I'm a terrorist and I've just beaten the crap out of the Avengers and I'm constantly fighting you, but I need some help. And like always, Xavier's solution is learning, living together and rehabilitation. Because that's his whole deal. It sounds like a prison warden. (laughs) Rehabilitation. I won't have that. I won't have that. He's a beautiful utopian visionary. (laughs) So the solution is to join the school and Xavier makes her part of the X-Men. Mm. So the the other X-Men that kind of threaten to revolt and quit the team around this, and it's a huge, hugely problematic issue. Um, but, but that's the X-Men. I mean, everyone's got a shady past, and Xavier demands you all get past it, except that mutants are all family and live together. You have to do that if you're going to be part of the team, part of the school. And... Yeah, that's how it during the time uh, the Danvers personality is kind of always battling Rogue's personality and psyche. It's kind of knocking around. Sometimes she even dresses. Danvers asserts control and mm. puts on the old Miss Marvel costume and stuff. Um, yeah, Danvers is the psych. The Danvers psyche gets purged from Rogue, but she keeps the powers for quite a long time. And in the nineties, she starts this. Will they? Won't they? They definitely won't because they can't relationship with Gambit, which oh. fueled the cartoon series. And we get we've had we thank you so much for your correspondence about the Rogue Gambit relationship. Um, we see so many people talking about that. We really hope we're going to get to do more of that as things continue. Um, yeah, so she's she's a really important character. She's very dark to begin with. She's very conflicted to begin with, as lots of the X Men are. She you know she she led the, during a time when Cyclops was dead. She led the team and. She's always been a quite. An, she's always been a very important member. Yeah, yeah. I, I, as far as I'm concerned, she's a part of the original lineup. You know, back when I used to watch it, I always thought, thought she was one of the main characters, like always. But yeah, yeah. So, pressing play on the story. In Alberta, Rogue meets a drunken fighter called Logan, who earns money in an illegal fight club where he is called the Wolverine. During Logan's cage fight and bar brawl, we see that he possesses healing abilities and six metal claws that protrude between his knuckles. This was, uh, for me, this was the moment I'll always remember in X-Men, the film, because I think, you know, back in the day, I don't know if it was Big Breakfast or whatever, they'd always show promos of films coming out. And I, that's how I found out they were doing an X-Men film. I didn't know oh, they were with doing... this clip. Yeah, a clip. And, and they showed a live-action version of Wolverine, and that was it. I was like, you're kidding yeah. me. They are doing... Because I, I used to watch cartoon. I was like, oh, my God, they're doing Wolverine. This is going to be so excellent. So this scene will always stick out to me for that. 
it's really cool. Yeah. Oh, it's it's totally cool. It's it, 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 it's I, I can't I. It's, it's, it's one of the only times I've ever really been that excited for a live-action version of something. I mean, obviously, video game characters uh, going into films, very bad idea usually. But this, man, excited, and it paid off. Loved it. So, but Wolverine as a drunk brawler, I mean, that is pretty cool. I like that, because he's an <laughs> anti-hero. I love that aspect. I bloody love it. But is that something that was invented for the movie, or did he actually do that stuff in the comics? He did. I mean, he did. Yeah, Wolverine's a, an odd dichotomy. Mm. He's a soldier, and like an, a highly trained, like a highly trained elite assassin soldier guy, and also a samurai, and also <laughs> a feral killer in the woods, and also yeah, a drunken brawler. Um, he's really. I think that's probably because he's such a, 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 a because he's such a long lived character. You know, he's meant to have been around for yeah. You know, several decades. I was about to say, man's got to have a hobby, man. Patton's got to have a hobby. One, yeah, and one aspect that keeps coming back to the character is drinking, yeah. drinking and brawling. Um, especially in the, 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 when you watch this film, at the time the film came out, how it correlated to the writing, right? Mm. This is a nebulous period between leaving Weapon X and joining the X Men. Right. And it's he's got no direction. He's escaped Weapon X. He's stopped being feral and wild. When he first comes out of Weapon X, he's been so tortured and hurt, and he's in so much pain, like psychically, mentally, physically. He reverts to this wild beast that lives in the woods with a pack of wolves for a while, and he's out of his head. But he's kind of gone through that. But there, there are these lost years of Wolverine where he, because his memories have been taken, he does not have any idea who he is. He knows he's different from everyone else. He, he doesn't have any direction. He doesn't know what he's about. He doesn't know why he feels rage and all that kind of stuff. Doesn't know he's a mutant. Doesn't know anything. He, he's just stumbling through life. He's really genuinely killing time. Mm. And he does that through drinking and, and, and brawling. So I, thought, I always thought that was a really cool period of the character. This lost period where you could drop in the occasional story. You know, oh, I did that. I mean, I spent a week in Japan once when I was a drunken <laughs> brawler. But over the years since this movie, and the movies have done it themselves as well, where instead of instead of him having this lost period, mm. oh, he had to go off and do this. He had to go off and do that. He had to. We keep coming back and time traveling back and flashbacking back and giving him different things to do during this period. And it's the same in the comic books. There's this pressure to produce more and more and more Wolverine stories. So they filled up all of these lost years with these side missions of, oh, that's when he was fighting the Hulk, and that's when he replaced, I don't know, he just did stuff, right? Constantly, that's when he joined Canadian Super Team. And yeah. So they've, they've really shrunk this, this, this time period that used to be this great lost period of Wolverines, I think mm. has kind of been evaporated. But yeah, but to- um, totally. that's a really cool... Also, you used the term side missions. I'm very proud of you. Thank you. I'm trying. I'm trying. I'm trying, babe. I'm trying. I love it. Um, but love it. one one thing I did notice, and I only noticed mm. it. Well, I could. I could only notice it on the rewatch. Rogue wears a green hood. In right. this, I thought because she was an That's archer, n- trying to look like an archer in Lord of the Rings. Up until this point, not part of the character design whatsoever. Okay. And then years later, she loses. There's a period of time when she loses all of Captain Marvel's powers. 
Cara Danvers' powers, mm. right? And so Rogue, she's got she can absorb from people, but she's you know she just can't fly and do all that sort of stuff. During that period of time, they redesigned the character, and I did not put two and two together at that time. But she starts to wear this green hood, and I always thought it was really odd. Like she looks mm. like a completely different character to the one you see in the X Men cartoon, which is based off Jim Lee, that superstar artist Jim Lee, when he redesigned the X Men in nineteen ninety one. That character design for all of them was what was used in... I mean, if Clement is the father of the writing, Jim Lee, with that one issue... Well, not one, he did a bunch, but when he redesigned the characters in 1991, those are the character designs that were used in the cartoon series, all the toys, all the merchandise, all the video games, you know, Children of the Atom yep. and all those fighting games, Marvel vs. Capcom. Those are all Jim Lee designs, and that, those were, like, defined those characters for all of the 90s. It was really odd to see Rogue go from that... I always picture it in the cartoon outfit. But I've only just put two and two together that Rogue's green hood from later on in the comic books is a little reference to this movie and this little scene here, which I had just completely forgot about, which is a really cool little thing. That is quite, it's quite a nice little neat little Easter egg. But back to the film. Seeing another mutant for the first time, a lost and confused Rogue hitches a ride with Wolverine and tries to convince him to help her on the icy roads, Rogue and Wolverine are attacked by one of Magneto's soldiers, Sabretooth. So, I, 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 I'm going to bring it up now. I should have brought it up earlier. Uh, Rogue introduces herself as Rogue uh, instead of a name. When did she decide to change yeah. it? It was a bit odd. like that Because usually in the superhero films, they show the logic behind the name or explanation. In this, he's like, oh, I, I, I'm Rogue. Like, like, like she's at a cosplay convention. Yeah, it's it's it it really stands out like a sore thumb, doesn't it? Yeah. The issue is that Rogue did not have a name, a real name, in the comic books for 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 all of the eighties mm. and most of the nineties, and it was a source of mystery. And it was I rem I remember in the early days of I mean it was very hard to have fandom in the days when you couldn't congregate anywhere because. There weren't computers, okay? I'm old. But there's no fan groups, there were no fan forums. There were, you know, you in, unless it was printed in the fan magazines that I used to buy, like Wizard and, and Hero, mm. you know, you didn't know what the fans were saying or thinking because it was, how would you get access to it? But even then, I remember in those fan magazines that there was this thing of when will they tell us Rogue's real name? When will it come out? When will it, when will it happen? Mm. And it didn't. It didn't take place until the very late nineties in her, in her comic book series. And it was the name you get here, Anne Marie. And once it came out, everyone realised, ah, it doesn't. I mean, it, yeah, it wasn't very fulfilling. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't a great mystery. It was just we didn't know her name was Anne. It, oh, okay. Yeah, it's odd. It sticks out like a sore thumb that she says, "I'm rogue." Because it, it it makes it sound like she's a bit too try hard. Like, hey, yeah, I'm mysterious. Look at me. But maybe if you've just been introduced to a, you know, a feral claw dude who's called the Wolverine, maybe you would do that. Maybe you'd go, I'm, I am the rogue. I am maybe the this living is what chrome. Do. I don't know. I'm a child. Maybe this is what strange people do in Canada. I don't know. Canada, Canada makes you do things. Uh, <laughs> so 
this might be the only chance we get to discuss Sabretooth because he disappears from the movies for quite some time after this. In fact, I don't remember him popping up apart from this film. So we'll, we'll, we'll discuss it oh, now. I think. What can he that tell us? Sounds to- like a man who's not seen X Men Origins Wolverine. I avoided it like the plague. I tried watching man. it. I tried watching it. I try. Okay, we might what we might do it in the future. I'll watch it then. But I remember being very not upset, but grumpy watching it. If you want to make Will watch X Men Origins Wolverine, head to Patreon, support the show, <laughs> make a demand, and I'll force him to do it. Good I'll save. Force him. Good save. <laughs> <laughs> But let's just discuss him at the same time. Is he anything like this in the comic books? Is he a big, hairy boy? Big, hairy boy. Forget about Joker. Oh, there we go. Sabretooth is the most legit, worst savage nemesis anyone could ever possibly have. Right. He is horrifying. He is genuinely horrifying. Originally, Chris Claremont introduced Sabretooth as a non-mutant, like a feral assassin in an Iron mm. Fist comic. But then when he was working on the X-Men, he was like, oh, I like that. I like the look of that guy. I like the name. I like all of that. Mm. I'll bring him in and make him a, a mutant somewhere. And uh, he he becomes this, this nemesis for Wolverine. And the most fun aspect of Sabretooth to begin with is that nobody knew anything about Sabretooth, including Wolverine. <laughs> Right, he would turn up on a regular basis to f with Wolverine, and Wolverine, because of his amnesia, has no memory of who this guy is or why he keeps kicking his ass. Um, he, he clearly has deep personal knowledge of Wolverine, and he keeps dropping hints of their shared past together, but it's just impenetrable, and Wolverine has no clue. Am I at fault? He seems like a monster, but I have a, a real rage inside of me. Maybe I did something awful. And the the key thing as well to early Sabretooth is that Wolverine, absolutely, time and time and time again, Wolverine cannot defeat Sabretooth. They have these long, I mean really long, they both got healing factors. That stuff just goes on. And Wolverine cuts his hand off at one point, and Sabretooth just picks the hand up, what? puts it back on his stump, and it grows back over, and he goes, <laughs> let's carry on. Um, they have these brutally long knockdown drag-out fights. Wolverine can't stop him, can't kill him. He just the collapses of exhaustion. Every year on Wolverine's birthday, Sabretooth will show up, track him down wherever he is in the world, <laughs> beat him to the point of nearly dying, and then leave and say happy birthday. So it's an advanced um, version of the bumps. <laughs> sure, yeah, it's very, yeah. Um, Wolverine, one of the first memories he gets back of yeah. Sabretooth is a memory of seeing the woman he loves being brutally murdered by Sabretooth. Oh. That was Sabretooth's first birthday present for Wolverine. Happy birthday, killed your wife. Um, he is a deeply, deeply horrifying and also awesome villain. Mm. Um, they fleshed him out over the years. Wolverine recovers parts of his memory, remembers being a part of an old CIA team with Sabretooth and another mutant called Maverick. They were they were called Team X, and that's the the group that the Weapon X program drew from, drew their candidates from. Yeah. The more Wolf, the more memories Wolverine gets back, the more he remembers all the horrors that Sabretooth has committed, both with him, 
because Wolverine's not always been a good boy and against him. Um, and he, he plagues him for decades. And then at one stage, it looked like Wolverine had finally... I'm going to do it all now because we might not ever get to Sabretooth again. At do one it. stage, it looked like Wolverine had finally killed Sabretooth um, by chopping his head off with a, a fabled demon blade that can disrupt their healing factor. Um, the problem is, this whole thing was revealed to be a plan by Sabretooth uh, to have Wolverine kill one of his replacement clones <laughs> so he could go into hiding. And with the whole world thinking he's dead, Sabretooth spends years slowly conquering the criminal underworld in the East until he becomes, they call him the Invisible King of Asia, absolutely untouchable crime lord that rules every organised crime family on that part in that part of the world. Um Unlike the movie here, Sabretooth in the comics is incredibly smart, very, very cunning, a master manipulator. He's highly trained in um, interrogation and, and um, oh God, what's it called? Yeah, he's highly trained in, in interrogation and he, he will he'll be able to break anyone's like anyone's spirits and anyone's psyche. Wow. Um, and, and, and he's a master manipulator, but he's also a slave to his base instincts like when they he's like oh I'm going to have to give in and go and kill some children just because it Ooh. makes me feel good I'm going to go and do that and then I'm going to come back to being a very committed crime lord he's horrifying he's brilliant um, Claremont interestingly has stated that he always intended for Sabretooth to be revealed as Wolverine's father Ah, those were some of the hints that the character was dropping in the early stories, but it never panned out, and he, you know, he left the books before that came about, and it's not the case. Wolverine is Sabretooth has categorically been not, you know, he's not his father. I, I don't that think that would have that wouldn't have fit. That would not have fit well. It's a, it's a shame he's just absolutely nothing in this film. Yeah, he, he he's essentially he, he is just a right hand man. He is just. Oh, it's terrible! Yeah, yeah. It's like it's like oh, Magneto's got his own Wolverine sort of at his side, and he. But he, not even that. He doesn't really. No, he doesn't. But sp- doesn't speak. He doesn't get. It's just yeah. Well, he does speak, yeah. but we regret every line he says in this film. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he, he doesn't really speak. He says like what two things? You owe me a scream. Is that, that it? Yeah. yeah, he does those lines, and you're there going, "Oh God!" It's like when. I don't know. I won't go on a big tangent. I'm just going to say that going back on some of these Marvel films, especially some of the early MCU films, uh, when Guards of the Galaxy came out, that sort of era, you do notice, and of course the Avengers, you do notice the script writing gets way better. You get way better. And you go back to these films and you have so many moments of cringe. And you're like, ah, yeah. this this has aged badly. <laughs> but, but, but some of that is just, um, I mean, yeah, some of that is how films were at a certain time you know that yeah. they, they they do still like they do still have this kind of almost tv movie feel to them yeah um but yeah it's not it's not great um uh, you, you, my, my boy here i got to i got to have a shout out he's a professional wrestler tyler main i was about um, to say that actually <laughs> i looked is, up is, the credits he's a pro wrestler you know trained by the legendary Stu hart sort of um and and a little bit by red bastian and um, yeah, he's he's appeared in WCW um, and, and things of that nature. Yeah. WCW, he, 
what a time! What a, what an age! You want to know what his uh, his name? He used to team with Kevin Nash, who's also been Kevin Nash shows up in one of the Punisher movies. Oh, um, and we've got you know we've got Triple H showing up in Blade Trinity, so there's a there's a, there's a connection. But Tyler Maine showed up in WCW, teaming up with Kevin Nash. Kevin Nash at the na- at the time was called Vinny Vegas. Oh, hey, I'm Vinny Vegas. <laughs> and uh, Tyler Maine debuted with World Championship Wrestling in 1993 under the name Big Sky. What, did they come oh, out to Kate Bush? I'm Big Sky. <laughs> oh, I'm Big Sky guy. Uh, yeah. I, classic, yeah he, I, I know you're a big wrestling fan. I, I, I haven't really been heavy into wrestling since, say, the late 90s, early noughties. And I, I kept up with the video games. I, I appreciate the art form, let's put it that way. <laughs> so that's Sabretooth for you That's Sabretooth, yep So, back to the story Before Sabretooth can harm them too much Help arrives in the form of two other mutants Cyclops and Storm Who drive Sabretooth off Wolverine and Rogue are brought to Xavier's mansion Where the professor explains to Logan That the mansion is a school for runaway mutants And the X-Men are trained for combat To combat terrorists like Magneto and his soldiers the professor says that Magneto appears to have taken a special interest in Wolverine. Xavier promises to help Logan with his amnesia if he sticks around while the X-Men work out what Magneto is up to. So, is that how Rogue and Wolverine joined X-Men in the comic? Because it was very serendipitous. Yes, <laughs> I, know, I know that well, word. I know that word. Shut up. <laughs> uh, my catchphrase. What's my catchphrase for the show, Will? It's not no gatekeeping. It's... Uh, stop going on a uh, tangent, Will. It's, it's yes, but also no. <laughs> yes, but also no. He has the one, sorry. They, I mean, yeah. not... Sort of, but not really. Um, sort of, but not really. That's the one. Yeah, sort of, but not really. Yeah. Because they, they, they join separately. Yeah. Wolverine... So Rogue comes to Xavier desperate for help with her, with, with her mind, as we, as we said. Um... It's not clear why Wolverine is there to begin with. But then Clement comes up with this idea that Wolverine's got amnesia and, and needs help. Mm. And that does become Wolverine's reason for, for being there. Yeah, They both need Xavier's help with their mental health, basically. Um, it, it's, it's portrayed as altruistic to begin with. Xavier wants to rehabilitate them. Yeah, Modern writings have hinted that Professor X strung both characters along because he needed their strength and he needed them to be loyal to the cause but you know that's open to interpretation a little bit yeah, yeah. they didn't join they didn't join at the same time you know wolverine joins the new the new team to mm. to save the old team from the mutant island krakoa uh that in, in 1975 and rogue comes a lot later on but yeah there is interestingly during the um House of M event, which I don't think there's any reason for us to get to, sadly. Mm. During the House of M event, it's revealed that Wolverine joined the X-Men to assassinate Professor X. And that had never been talked about ever before in comics. But when he uh, arrived, Professor X read that in his mind and just wiped it from his mind. Someone come to stab me. Just gonna delete that. Select, click, and delete. That Just sounds like that. that sounds like the introduction must have been. He goes, he goes. Uh, Who are you? I'm Wolverine. What are you come here? What are you coming to do? I don't know. <laughs> but it, it also does suggest that 
Wolverine's heroism is entirely fabricated. Like, if it wasn't for someone altering his mind, maybe he would be an assassin still. Yeah, I, I, I think Xavier made the good move on that. I, 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 I'm not going to argue with him. You know. Oh no, not at all. Well, you, you wouldn't be able to. You mean I think you initially you were, but then he deleted that from your mind, and then he's prodded you to not argue with him. Oh, I thought you said I wouldn't be able to argue him because he's also a fellow baldy. We have a very tight. There's that. There's that as well. We yeah. have a tight union, tighter than a psychic uh, trust. I don't know what the uh, term is. Anyway, back to the action. <laughs> Senator <laughs> Kelly is abducted by two more of Magneto's minions, Toad and Mystique. They bring the senator back to the Brotherhood's hideout on the uncharted island of Genosha. Did I get it right? Yes, Genosha. So this is probably the best time to talk about Toad. Again, just like Sabretooth, uh, he he only ha- he, he is he is just a henchman in this film. Uh, I imagine he has a a bit more in the comics. Is he a major character on the page? Not really. I, I mean, he's not. he's there for a long, long time. Mm. Mortimer Toynbee is his name. That's the one. Yep. I only Mortimer know that from Toynbee. the video game. I know that from the video game. <laughs> I was about to say, I can see the panic Which in your eyes. What video game are we talking about? <laughs> Oh, this was the uh, Xbox game. It was just called X-Men. And it was like... Right, right, right. Yeah, it was really good. It, exceptional game. Toad is, is um, Magneto's first recruit in the comic books. Mm. In, the, in the 60s, he is exactly what his name says. He's a toady. He's a groveling, simpering ah. <laughs> kind of... Uh, constantly kissing Magneto's ass. Mm. Uh, he's, a, he's kind of a buffoon. Magneto treats him like utter, utter crap, which is, again, part of why Magneto is not a misunderstood, valiant figure. (laughs) He is a horrible villain. He abuses Toad every chance he gets, makes him wear a court jester costume to constantly remind him, you are a joke. Ooh. Actively says, "I, I have no, there is no, you are not any use to this team, this brotherhood. Uh, other than to be a lackey, to be a human shield, to be a pawn that can go and do stuff for me. Awful. And Toad views Magneto really as a father figure, and it's very horrible to watch in these early issues as he gets kicked around and abused and abandoned and left for dead. And He doesn't do a whole lot in the comics. He's usually part of an evil mutant group in some form or another. He has his own group of Brotherhood of Evil Mutants at one point that's a horrible failure. Um, the best one though is when Spider-Man finds him (laughs) so one day Spider-Man finds the toad and feels sad for him and so instead of punching him in the face like every other superhero he befriends him and he says ah you look really down there mate tell you what why don't we become friends I'll be your mate and uh, toad is immediately like this is awesome I'm going to be a sidekick uh, Spider-Man's like, whoa, well, I don't really need any sidekicks And I now kind of regret my friendship uh, I just sort of wanted to not have you not kill yourself, basically oh, And Toad then finds uh, a second and a third comedy character That also want to be Spider-Man's sidekicks One called Frogman Frogman? Who has a robotic, robotic frog suit hmm. And another called um, Spider-Kid And... Um, after a scuffle over who gets to be Spider-Man's sidekick, 
Spider-Man intervenes and says, None of you! Go away! (laughs) Uh, The three of them briefly form a superhero team called the Misfits, and that goes nowhere. Um, We're spending a bit too much time on Toad here. I know, (laughs) He doesn't have... He doesn't have a super stretchy tongue in the comic books. That doesn't happen until after the movie comes out. What? In the comic books, he's, you know, he's got that tongue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But what, what does he in have the in the comics then? I interrupted you. Oh, oh, nothing. Um, he's he's short and squat, and he's got a pot belly. He's he's got a hunchback, but he's incredibly agile, and he okay. bounces and leaps and jumps around. Um, yeah. So when you he say get, he, he, he und- when you say incredibly agile, do you mean? More agile than a human is capable of, or is he just a fast? He's a fast tubby man. <laughs> he's a fast fatty. He's a fast fatty. No, he's not a fast fatty. He is. He is. He can bounce and leap and jump. Yeah. He can bounce off. He can bounce off walls and do all sorts of amazing stuff. Yeah. Um, it, in the comic books, they eventually change him so that he become. He looks just like Ray Parks. Basically, he becomes tall and slim. Yeah. Looks yeah. like his movie counterpart and has everything. There's one. Story arc. The only really story arc of significance I can think of is one that takes place in 2001 mm. when Wolverine's running the Jean Grey School for Higher Learning and he gives Toad a second chance uh, and you can come and work in his school but only as a janitor. <laughs> and it's it's kind of a bit crap. He is ignored by everyone but he does keep displaying true bravery and selflessness which sometimes goes overlooked, but not by one teacher. And he starts a relationship with this one teacher. And honestly, this little storyline that runs through Jason Aaron's run on Wolverine and the X-Men, it genuinely broke my heart. (laughs) And it's full of pathos. It's not a huge, huge part of the story, but it does have within it moments that are deeply, deeply important for all the other exciting action to happen. Mm. And it's really heartbreaking. I highly recommend checking out Jason Aaron's run on Wolverine and the X-Men. Oh. Uh, it's not just the best Toad story ever written. It's also a very, very good comic. Excellent. I was about to say, when you say they made him a bit more slimmer and handsome, it reminds me what they did. Not handsome. Okay, okay, okay. I, I, he looks like I, Ray Parks. <laughs> he looks like Ray... Which one's Ray Parks again? Is he the guy who plays him the in the toad. film? Yeah, the yeah, yeah. He's got this sunken, weird eye. In the movie... I'm sorry, that was something I've been disparaging about Ray Parks, the actor. I mean, in the movie, he's got these really grey circles around his eyes. Yeah, and he's yeah. got grey skin. He looks kind of... Ugh. Okay, I, 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 I retract handsome. It reminds me what they did to the Penguin in Batman, the Telltale series, a video game where the Penguin looks like a regular guy. He looks like a regular, handsome, thin guy. Really? He's yeah. Th- he's thin. And he's also a friend of Bruce Wayne's. But the whole penguin thing is he wears a mask. He wears like almost like the plague doctor mask when he does some crimes. Call himself That's a penguin. That's stupid. What it, is that in? It's it's a video game, Batman the Telltale series. It was stupid. really good. It was really good. It retconned a lot of stuff though. It retconned so much stuff. Right. But that was a very well, hard pill to swallow. It's not a retcon. It's a it's a different medium, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll go with that. We'll go with that. So, Genosha. They've got a good hideout there, an uncharted island that no other country knows about, which is impressive in the late the end of the twentieth century. Considering, <laughs> sa- I mean, I as uh, I mean, you you probably got some uh, knowledge on that, but I mean, like, is Genosha significant in the comic books, and and is it only hidden because it was like written in the seventies or something? You know, before they caught uh, Genosha's not hidden in the comic books. Ah, good. 
That makes sense. Uh, introduced in the 1980s by who do you think created Genosha? Uh, should I just say Magneto? No, Chris Claremont, the writer. Oh right, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that was a trick question. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Created by like everything else in this podcast episode, but created by Chris Claremont. This this episode was written by Chris Claremont. Uh, created in the, in the introduced in the eighties as this amazing nation of peace mm. off the coast of Africa by by, by Madagascar. Has amazing technology, was a paradise for its citizens, but the X Men discover the whole thing is built on the backs of mutant slaves. Ah, um, slavery is alive and well in Genosha, but it's all it's all mutants. Mm. So obviously, this it's um it's a real analogy for South Africa. Um, mutants are controlled and beaten and, and forced into labour and killed indiscriminately. Um, the X Men topple the government, smash the system. And then in the late 90s, Genosha is ceded to Magneto by the United Nations to become uh, a place for mutants to live. Ooh, very nice. And it's a peaceful mutant nation for, for, for a few years. Mutants all over the world flock there because they are completely safe in Genosha. But significantly, it was the scene of a mutant massacre by Sentinels in the early 2000s. Hundreds of thousands of mutants are murdered by sentinels when they attack um yeah and that's pretty brutal and it kicks off the big post 2000 story arc in new x-men during the house of m event which we can't get into when the timeline is changed so that magneto rules the world genosha is the seat of mutant power and it's the home of the mutant royal family so yeah it's 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 on and off scene it was once a very very dark part of mutant's history and then it's kind of becomes almost their spiritual home for a while. That's nice. That's nice. That, obviously, that is supposed to be in the film, though. They're not hiding in a random cave. Because that one. I don't think so. No, it seems like it's a whole island. It's a whole island, isn't it? But yeah. it's a small island. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I, yeah. That makes sense to me. I, I, I just thought, oh, they're just hiding in a cave near New York. That's what I thought when I watched the film. They're just hiding in a random. Yeah, cave. Um, it doesn't. Like, they don't mention. I think it comes up as a. It comes up as Genosha, doesn't it, on the screen? Oh, but I don't think they actually talk about it. I don't watch films to read. God. <laughs> <laughs> so back to the film. Magneto uses Kelly as a test subject for a machine powered by his magnetic abilities that generates a field of radiation which induces mutations in normal humans. Kelly later escapes by taking advantage of his newfound mutation. Rogue visits Wolverine during the night while he's having a nightmare. Startled, he stabs her, but she's able to absorb his healing ability to recover. So, in this film... Obviously, as we've seen, Wolverine and Rogue are very close, like a well, like a brother and sister relationship. Is that true in the comics? No, not really. Um, they're, they're much more like equals. When Rogue joins the team, she's seen as the new Wolverine, basically. Oh, um, person with a violent person with a dark past, committed lots of crimes and rubbed everyone the wrong way. So they're very much on on, on level pegging. In the eighties, they're seen as the two killers on the team. Like, literally. Um, Colossus murders a villain in one issue, and Rogue is like, how dare you do that? That's not for you to do. You guys stay the way you are. Me and Wolverine are the ones that have done horrible stuff. If anyone needs killing, we'll do it. Just, Just don't... You don't need to do it. 
Um, it's really weird kind of, when you bring yeah. ethics into unethical behaviour, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, Wolverine does a lot of that. He has a lot of this stance of, I'm already going to hell. Yeah, I am very well and truly muddied up with sins here. Just let me put a few more under the belt, and you guys stay nice and clean. Um, yeah, Wolverine does have this kind of big brother relationship in the comics, though. First with Kitty Pride, yeah, when she joins the team, very innocent young fella that gets young figure, not fella, young figure that gets wrapped up in the X Men's business, and then later on, they replicate that dynamic with Jubilee, hmm. and we see a lot of that in the cartoon series. Oh, Ju- Jubilee! I only saw in the cartoon series, and it did she appear in the films later? She has like cameos. It's very not much. Yeah, I do want to point something out um, that in, in the movie Magneto is trying to create mutants. Okay, through this thing he's doing. Now, in the comic book world, in the Marvel world, they would not be mutants. What would they be? They would be mutates. Uh... Um, Spider-Man is not a mutant because he was not born with the powers. Mm. He is mutated by radiation. So he is not... It's almost like, you know, he was not born Jewish, so he can't (laughs) join the club. Um, (laughs) So... He's not. He's not part of the mutants because he, you know, an accident happened to him and it changed him. And it, 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 what, what Magneto's doing here to Senator Kelly is creating a mutate. Um, but I guess it doesn't in, in the in the X Men cinematic universe or whatever it's called it doesn't necessarily really matter because they haven't got any other characters. It's an important distinction in the Marvel universe to separate Captain America, who is has his biology mutated by a powerful serum. And the Hulk, who has his biology mutated by gamma radiation in a thing, and characters that are born that way. And it becomes even more important the more they move away from the idea of radiation leading to mutations and it being a genetic destiny that humanity gives birth to the next lot of of the next species, basically. When mutants become a species rather than radiation victims, yeah. it's almost culturally important to them as a people that you can't kind of expose yourself to gamma rays and join the club you know you're not part of our culture wow how inclusive <laughs> i know yeah <laughs> lovely people. yeah yeah okay okay that makes sense so as we can see it is all going on in the mansion the nighttime stabbing is observed by rogue's fellow students who arrive to help mystique then disguises herself as rogue's crush Bobby Drake and tells Rogue that Xavier is furious with her. Mystique convinces Rogue to leave the school. So, Bobby Drake, Rose's crush, and one of the young students. What is he like in the comics? Is he dreamy? <laughs> <laughs> He's kind of not. No, he kind of gets quite overlooked in that respect, actually. Okay. Because Angel, Angel is the very dreamy one. So, mm. Bobby Drake's one of the founding X Men. He's Iceman. Yep. One of the youngest members, and, and looked on as the baby of the team, in that way that only, in that way that only like a an eighteen year old can look at, or, no, or a seventeen year old can look at a, yeah, an eighteen year old can look at a fifteen year old and go like, baby, like mate, there's no, there's three years in it. <laughs> you're really, you're really, you know what? You you get an awful. I'm, I used to work in a pub for many many years, and the amount of swagger. That a young person would have at the uh, you'd ID someone, yeah. and they go, "I can't believe you're asking for my ID." 
I'm 20. It's like, <laughs> mate, for God's sake. It's two years in it. I mean, Jesus. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. But he's looked as the baby of the team. And to begin with, you, so have you seen Iceman in later X-Men movies or in the cartoon or anything? I don't you know what Iceman it, looks like. Didn't see him in the cartoon. I, I, okay. I, 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 I don't remember in the cartoon. Obviously, seen him in the later films because I've seen pretty much all of them apart from Dark Phoenix and some of the Wolverine ones. So he, he has this kind of glacier yeah. look to him, doesn't he? Yeah. Sharp ice. He literally looks like an ice to be, man. To begin with, he's a snowman. What, he has a carrot? No. <laughs> he is a snowman without the hat and the carrot and the coal and the, all that. But he is a fluffy... Fluffy round head, <laughs> Fluff, fluffy arms. He's snow. He's made of snow. He is a snow person. He's a ridiculous looking snowman um, that follows around the X Men. And, and all he can do yeah. is throw snowballs. Do they do they tease him every now and again? And, and every time he goes down the corridor, one of them goes, "I'm walking in the air." <laughs> Just I don't think that tran- first of all that wouldn't translate to American audiences. Yeah, I, yeah. We gotta, we gotta, we gotta bring this up. Like more than more than fifty percent of our audience are Americans. We gotta watch our references, brother. I, I, re- I really saw it. That was. Uh, I'm not even gonna bother telling him. Oh yeah, Google the no. snowman because no, it's not worth. Well, it's a. What's be- the guy's name? What was the kid's name? I can't remember. The, the singer. Oh, Alec Jones. Alec Jones. Alec Jones. <laughs> This is just for us. Yeah. Um, so yeah, by by issue eight, they they redesign the character because they they realise he he looks ridiculous. Um, and Bobby's one of the characters that we see early on, the kind of dark side of this mutant hatred that goes on because he he's um, nearly killed by a lynch mob in his hometown when they found out he was a mutant. That's why he joins Xavier's school because he needs to save himself and his parents from these horrible horrible lynch mobs that are out there. He's very close to Iceman and, and Beast. Sorry, he's very close to Ice. Iceman's very close to Beast in the 60s. Mm. They both goof around and pull pranks and stuff. <laughs> when the new team arrives in the 70s, Bobby Drake leaves the X-Men and moves to LA. Ooh, why? And this is when... Sorry. This is when... This is when <laughs> Angel and Iceman form the oddest team of all time. The Champions of Los Angeles! <laughs> <laughs> who consist of Iceman and Angel from the X-Men, the Greek god Hercules, what? The Rush the Russian spy Black Widow, and who rounds out the team? Oh yeah, the freaking Ghost Rider. Oh god. <laughs> Russian spy, demonic bike rider, Greek god, two X-Men. And they all just hang out in LA. Okay. Whoa, I got two <laughs> things to say. One <laughs> And this is what came to mind instantly. Why is Iceman in look, California? He's gonna melt. Uh, it's just it, it, oh, that, that, that angered me. And number two, are you telling me that they went okay? Well, Thor worked. Why don't we try it with Greek mythology? Let's get Hercules. Uh, Her- Hercules is a long-standing character. He comes around in the sixties, very early on. Yeah. No way. As, as a rival, to, as, a, as a rival to Thor, and he replaces Thor on the Avengers for a long time. He's a long-standing Marvel Marvel hero. Yeah, Sweden versus uh, Greece. Jeez. But the champions of Los Angeles. Yeah, and they they don't just stop there. They they give out their phone number to the public like the Ghostbusters, <laughs> and they have adverts that are like 
Is there a supervillain in your neighbourhood? Call the champions! We'll sort him out. Oh, by the way, for and young listeners, uh, putting a phone number in a, in something like that for the public is basically uh, 1980s Patreon. <laughs> that's how it is. Yeah, that's it. That's how it is. Um, that's amazing. His, Iceman's powers are like all over the... I mean, to begin with, he, he just threw snowballs and then um, he could make ice slides, which yeah. were very prominent in Spider-Man and his amazing friends, yep. which he was one third of. They're somehow making an, a slide of ice allows him and other people to travel really quickly. But it's just... I mean, it's its essentially a bobsleigh without the bob. It's a, it's a, it's a, skeleton, it's a skeleton ride, isn't it? It's just insane. Oh, yeah, it's totally, like, it's totally badass. Gonna, that's, that's, no, you can only go down. No, no. <laughs> like, you, you get momentum and you go up a bit. <laughs> Haven't you played bit, Mario 64? But not more. I don't think you can get from one end of the city to the other just by going down a little bit once. I, I, I you know, go, you go up a bit. You got to, you got. I, I hmm. he, 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 anyway. he probably goes up a building. He goes up a building to begin with. <laughs> That's about it for Iceman. Yeah, it gets dangerous as the years go on. But there you go. There we go. There we go. Okay, so we continue. Xavier, you Xavier, sorry Xavier. <laughs> Xavier. 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 Good old Xavier. Bloody Xavier. Xavier uses his mutant locating machine, Cerebro, to find Rogue at a train station, and the X-Men set off to retrieve her. Meanwhile, after impersonating Bobby Drake, Mystique enters the Cerebro room and sabotages the computer. So, she's popped up. She's a bit of an important character. Rob, tell us about Mystique. She's a very key figure in this movie. Uh, is she the same in the comics well she's she's insanely different from the first batch of movies to the second batch there we go like comparing comparing mystique in these first three movies to jennifer lawrence jennifer lawrence you know later on Hmm. it's i I have no idea if it's meant to be the same character or not they're really all over the place with this film series um i mean she's not even consistent there but i mean jennifer lawrence is just playing herself in this, isn't she? She just sort of like. Well, I, I, she's not in this. Oh no, no. I mean, like later on when she's in it, she's like she sort of. I don't think. I don't. I don't think so. Ah, uh, but I always see Jennifer Lawrence just being Jennifer Lawrence, but not as oh, you're outrageous. One of them. You're one of them, are you? What a Jennifer La- Lawrence criticizer. Got got strong feelings about men's rights, have you, mate? Is that is that, <laughs> it? Is that what it is? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Nah. Think dads are always hard done by in the courts. Is that is that where we're going? Hey? <laughs> Yeah, I'm going to climb up a building dressed as Spider-Man and go, Fathers for Justice. I think Captain Marvel is the worst of Marvel film for a series of reasons. Don't get me started. I see too much of that and I want to go, come on, explain to me how it's a bad film. She's very confident. So all the rest of them. So, yeah, Mystique um, originally crops up as a Miss Marvel villain. Hmm. Not anything to do with the X-Men. Because um, Chris Clements writing that comic as well at the time, mm. and then in in the vacuum left behind by by Magneto, because uh, sidebar Magneto uh, stops being a supervillain and becomes headmaster of the X Men school for Ooh. a brief period of time. Uh, in that during that period, she starts her own um, group of uh, the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. Yeah, and and that kind of goes yeah. That kind of goes... It goes actually really well. She has a really good idea with it. <laughs> okay. Um, 
she well, we'll just we'll get to that in two seconds. So so Mystique's in charge of Rogue, and she sets Rogue off to do all this stuff with Miss Marvel, and Mystique mm. and Destiny have a long connection and kind of raised her and all that. And Claremont said in interviews after he left the X Men series that he originally intended for Mystique and Destiny to both be Rogue's biological parents. The Ooh, idea yeah, yeah. being that Mystique shapeshifted into a male form to be the father. But Marvel ixnayed the hell out of that idea. That is <laughs> a like, weird idea. Uh, yeah. First of all, we're not cool with lesbian relationships in comics. And second of all, we've not even begun to think if we're cool about shapeshifting transsexual identities. So, no. Uh, Mystique, once she has the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, she hmm. quickly sells their services to the US government and they become an officially sanctioned like military super team yeah. in exchange for full pardons. Uh, they even train uh, John Walker, the replacement Captain America. Um, you can go and check out our bonus episode of uh, The Many Captains of America if for that period in Captain America history. That's on the Patreon. Yeah, so they train John Walker to be a super to fight superpower people. Um, not, it's not. No, we, we're not going to do a huge amount of mystique here because we've got a lot of her to come. Oh, totally. <laughs> Especially when we kind of do the first class and beyond, they suddenly become mystique movies. Um, they, they really so, bring her out a bit. I, I, I mean, I know I'm not a, the biggest Jennifer Lawrence fan, but they really bring bring out a, a bit of her backstory out, and they really grow her character. Yeah. It's not known how old Mystique is due to her shape shiftings because she doesn't, you know, show mm. any age. But before this, but at the point of the two thousand movie coming out, we do know that she's had a long affair with Sabretooth that they keep returning to again and again. They have a child who becomes a uh, nefarious X Men mm. antagonist. And before this movie comes out, we do also find out that she is Nightcrawler's mother. Ah, because she shagged a demon in Germany. We've all been there. We've all had one of them <laughs> nights in Germany, down in Dusseldorf, had a few too many uh, Bitvergers and Brasselwursts, and decided, ah, that blue demon doesn't look too bad. <laughs> um, so that's kind of where Mystique was when this movie came out. And she's she's compared to how she is later on, she does lots, but she doesn't get to speak. I don't think she speaks in any of these movies. No, like, not she, with her own voice, anyway. She no, no, she doesn't. Also, is she naked in the comics? No, no. Is that no, no, very? She has a, yeah, she has a full. She has a, she has a costume. You know, she has a long skirt and all sorts. And the costume shapeshifts with her, I assume. Yeah, yeah. Which means it probably isn't. It's probably her skin. So she is naked but it looks like clothes and if something looks like clothes something is clothes that's what I tell me missus about me chest hair <laughs> so back to the movie having left ahead of Storm and Cyclops Wolverine finds Rogue on a train and convinces her to return to the school but before they can leave Magneto arrives and uses his powers to take control of Wolverine's body now, there's something I, I I mentioned earlier, and it is this part of the film. It's uh, now I used to read Crack.com quite a lot. I, I love reading listed articles of top five things, etc. And this film came up uh, with quite a few cringing lines in that in that list. I think it was top five cringing lines in otherwise good films. 
Saber yeah, t- it, it does suffer a little bit from that, doesn't it? It does. It's it's quite ah. He telling me that left it, that that was uh, remained in the film. Also, uh, as a little tangent, the scriptwriter for this film is a guy called David Hater. David Hater. Huh. David Hater is more well-known within the video game community as the voice of Solid Snake from Metal Gear Solid. Oh, really? And he wrote this? Uh, yeah, he was a screenwriter for this, yeah. It's the there weirdest we link ever. You just think, oh, he's a voice actor. Oh, he wrote the script to X-Men as well. <laughs> as well as being Solid Snake. Uh, but anyway, basically Sabretooth comes up behind Storm and just goes, Scream for me. Which is a very... Very cringy line. Yeah, they, it they, is, yeah. they could have just annoyed that. However, that is soon overshadowed. It's also got some cool. It's got some really cool lines as well, though. What lines does he have that are cool? The not not him. I'm just in the movie. Oh, got some cool lines. Oh, the I, I think most of Patrick Stewart's uh, script it, it redeems everything. I, I, um, Storm's got that really cool quip with Toad. You know, you know what happens to a toad when he gets struck by lightning, don't you? And he's like, no. And he goes, same as everything else. That's a good line. I had that listed and as my second cringy line of the film. No, no, no. That's a good line. That's a good line. <laughs> and then there's the uh, the exchange between Cyclops and Wolverine, which we won't repeat for language reasons. But it's like, how do I know it's yes. you? That's a great line. That's that is a really great that, line. That was that was very very good. Um, also, this bit is overshadowed uh, by the fact that even looking back on this. When Magneto comes in, tears the train carriage in two. I'm going to say that's practical effects right there. And I'm a big, big lover. I'm talking Stan. Yeah. Which, it looks very real, doesn't it? Is it Stan Wilson? Stan Wilson's a person. Uh, a name. Uh, I can't remember. I can't remember the name. That the, the the one who's known for Jurassic Park and everything. The very the special effect. It looks of that kind of thing. You know, very good example of practical effects. Like, great, that is... I, I know this is the first film of the lot. They probably didn't have that much of a bigger budget, but to see a train carriage tear apart like that, great. Yeah. But, Rob, this Yeah, is, it was really cool. This is a cool scene uh, uh, as well. I mean, he stops Wolverine as well. That's that's. Did you see that joke I sent you? It was a meme that uh, online my, my other half sent me, which says Wolverine going, ah, I've got to stop Magneto, other X-Men, but, but Wolverine... <laughs> Your bones are made of metal. I don't care. I'm going to stop him. Half later. Ah, my bones. <laughs> yeah. That's, I mean, that's, that's, gen- Wolverine is generally F when Magneto was around. I know. Um, it's. In, in, uh, in 1993, when Magneto returns to his ways of villainy, mm. uh, the X Men try and stop him, and uh, Magneto takes control of the adamantium in Wolverine's bones. Yeah. And doesn't just stop him like he does here. He Magneto's had enough. This Ooh. is this is it's, it's a storyline called Fatal Attractions, and it's um, it it really is repositioning Magneto as the top villain mm. going around. He sets off a global EMP that wipes out all electronics in the globe for a brief period, and threatens to end civilization by reversing the magnet the polarity of the polar ice caps. Um, and he's like, just do as I say, and I won't have to kill everyone. Because um, he's cool, because he's living on an asteroid in space. He's very happy. Um, That's the Wolverine life. goes to stop him, and and he doesn't just control the adamantium in his bones. He rips it out of him. Oh! Like, oh. he he sucks the, uh, on like a cellular level, Yeah, the it's almost liquid adamantium comes 
ripping her through his paws away Ugh. from the bone. It, it it very nearly kills Wolverine. His healing factor is pushed to its absolute limits. Really can't cope. Yeah. And for a long period of time afterwards, he he uh, Wolverine is nowhere near as strong as he used to be. His healing factor is is nearly gone. And that's a point around that story that it's revealed for the first time that Wolverine's claws um, on on natural bone yeah. that he's always had that are laced with adamantium. At the time in the comics, until the 1990s, it was previously thought that the the, the claws were grafted onto his body hmm. by Weapon X when they gave him the adamantium. So this was a big revelation. It thought that, that the claws were gone with the rest of the adamantium, and then he had these bone claws pop through his pop through his hands, and we all went, Oh, he's still got claws! That was a huge moment in the 90s. Oh, I can imagine. That, that completely tells you... Well, it just adds an extra ability to his wiki page. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Ooh. That that's that's a horrible image. So let's press play again. Oh, uh, oh. as punishment for that. Oh, because Xavier was there with the team when that happened, and he's pushed beyond anger at seeing this. Yeah. He wipes. Um, he wipes Magneto's mind. He deletes his. He just. He just turns him off. He wipes him. Turns him into a vegetable. Uh, and like that Star Trek Magneto episode. Was a, what? Like the episode of Star Trek. Why am I going to know that? <laughs> oh, sorry. I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry. Went, went, went down the wrong geek path. I'm really sorry. This is an old episode of Star Trek where, that, where they, they turn someone into a vegetable. Does... Oh. No, not into it. Like, like, yeah, okay. Wipes the mind. No. Patrick Stewart does that. Not, no, no. I'm talking we're, about, I'm talking we're about we're Shatner. We're opposite trains I'm here. I thought, there was a, I thought there was a definite link here. And you were like, oh, like, that Patrick, like when Patrick Stewart did that in... No, but no, we're not. Not even Patrick Stewart. The fake Patrick Stewart called William Shatner. He did it. Oh, controversial stuff let's, coming up today. Let's carry on with the film. Let's carry on with the film. <laughs> so let's press play again. That got away from us, then, Will. That got away from us. That, got, that could have added an hour. Let's not uh, go down other geek avenues until I, we're done. No, we'll save that for the other podcast. So, Magneto reveals it was Rogue who he wanted all along, not Wolverine. Magneto and his and his brotherhood te- looked to set. Sorry, Magneto and his brotherhood looked set to wipe out the police when Xavier attempts to stop Magneto by mentally controlling Sabretooth and Toad. Magneto takes control of dozens of guns and turns them on the police. Unable to stop Magneto without killing them, Professor X backs down, letting Magneto and his brotherhood escape. So, I assume he has a he has a gang like this in the comics called the Brotherhood, right? Because that's too much of a grand name to just come up for a film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, the Brotherhood—they're—they're they're right there in issue one of the X Men. The Brotherhood of Evil Mutants—that's their official name. Which is a weird thing for someone who's definitely not a supervillain to name his team of political advocates. <laughs> Argument three in my series of why Magneto is definitely a villain. Um, yeah, he calls them the team—the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants—and that's oh. the team that had um, Toad in it. The original team's got Toad. Yep. Uh, a psychic illusionist called Mastermind, hmm. and the brother-sister duo, a very fast young man called Quicksilver, ah. and a woman with ill-defined powers called the Scarlet Witch. Um, oh, so they were X-Men hmm. characters to begin with. They are X-Men characters. That is why it is utterly... Uh, well, yeah, they are, but it isn't utterly odd that they're in Avengers... And we won't do that now, 
because we've got Age of Ultron on the horizon, and we'll you... we'll get into Quicksilver and the Scarlet Witch when we're there. I do have an interesting link about Quicksilver, but we'll cover that in Age of Ultron because it's quite a weird one that ties in with Kickass. Anyway, yeah, back to the okay. Brotherhood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the, 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 he adds other team members to uh, the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, including um, they always have questionable powers in the early sixties. Or, well, sorry, in the early issues in the sixties, there's a huge, monstrously fat mutant called the Blob, who <laughs> yeah, can absorb any any damage. You can't hurt mm. him. And there's a guy with a force field called Unus the Untouchable, <laughs> who can't be touched that's his power my power is i cannot be touched which is me during lockdown um i was about to say that's rogue's power also... <laughs> that's ro- <laughs> <laughs> he has the power of a uh yeah government yeah. forced lockdown but he also can't touch like food and he can't eat stuff and he can't touch other stuff he's just a very sad tragic figure um Dozens of other mutant terrorists would would take the name Brotherhood over the years, and they'd drop the evil part. After a while, a branding officer had a word with them and went, <laughs> "Guys, just to let you know, you keep telling us you're political advocates, but you literally called yourselves evil mutants. It's not helping. It's not helping. You know the the optics on this are very bad. The media's having a field day. Just drop the evil <laughs> Brotherhood of Mutants. Sounds like something people would like to join." Um. From the 90s onwards, Magneto had another group of mutant followers called the Acolytes, which uh, for periods of time they were like in, an entire society of families and, and, and hangers-on, many of whom worshipped Magneto as the mutant messiah. And, uh, oh yeah, they all lived on an asteroid in space orbiting the Earth. Oof. That's where they lived. Prime real estate. <laughs> so that's quite a brotherhood that's more that's less of a brotherhood more of a space program anyway things are hotting up in the film senator kelly arrives at xavier's school and xavier reads his mind to learn about magneto's machine for turning humans into mutants realizing the strain of powering it nearly killed magneto the group deduces that he intends to transfer his powers to rogue using her to power the machine even if it kills her kelly's body Rejects his mutation, and his body dissolves into liquid. Wasn't that so gross? It, it. I, I think the gross it's part of horrifying. I mean, I mean, I, I, I really should have mentioned this before. But what I liked was where he, and you're going to see this. You're not the, view, the listeners aren't. Is where he went to the bars, and it's like, <laughs> when he tried to escape, and it's like a fish. It's head. so weird. That is a running joke between me and my best friend. Really. That, that that is a, I don't know why it is an ongoing running joke. Um, we'll put the image, the screen cap up in the uh, in the Patreon blog. Yeah, I don't know. I can't tell you why. Oh God! But I, I mean, I mean, but the disgusting part is that gargling sound he makes as his body turns oh, to water. It's so gross. I mean, it's yeah. a great special effect. Great special effect for its time. Great. But anyway, he dissolves into liquid. Xavier attempts to locate Rogue using Cerebro, but Mystique's sabotage incapacitates him and he falls into a coma. Fellow telekinetic and telepath Jean Grey fixes Cerebro and uses it. Learning that Magneto plans to use his mutation-inducing machine on Liberty Island and use it 
to mutate the world leaders meeting at a summit on nearby Ellis Island. Rob, we've probably uh, got lots more movies to give us Gene Gary uh, a real deep dive, including uh, the Phoenix movie, the the recent X-Men film. I haven't seen it, but I I heard it was terrible. (laughs) I might watch it just for the 90s vibe or whatever. But here she steps up and takes over for Professor X. Is there much of that in the comic books? Uh, And if so, how powerful is she considering the whole Phoenix thing? I am genuinely dreading... (laughs) We're tackling the goddamn Phoenix in later movies because every other writer changes what the goddamn Phoenix is. It has changed. I've counted. It's changed about 11 times since it was originally written. Really? And it's constant, man. Okay. Oh, I'm Honestly, I'm telling you now... Um, I'm I'm thinking of ways to avoid do, do, covering it. We've we're committed to doing every as long as people keep donating, becoming patrons. We're committed to doing every Marvel thing. But oh man, um, originally Green Jay, uh, Green Jay, originally Jean Grey, <laughs> Marvel Girl, um, <laughs> only had the power of telekinesis, um, mm. and it was absolutely pathetic. Okay. It, it's the power to move any object with your mind, which is immense. But Stan Lee has no idea what to do with this goddamn power Ugh. at all. Uh, I, I grew up reading these '60s comics, and I will tell you, it is burned into my memory from from when I was a child. I thought this was pathetic when I was like seven and read it for the first time. In one issue, the X-Men are charging through the woods to fight someone. Cyclops calls out, Gene, look out for that small hole in the ground. And Gene yells back, don't worry, I'll take care of that. And uses her amazing telekinesis power to slightly move a stick (laughs) to cover the hole so she can walk over it. Rather than sidestep... That's 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 the level of her power in, in the sixties. She's relegated to mainly creating force fields for other people, and even that seems to be a struggle for the poor dear. Um, by sixty eight, she gains telepathic powers like Professor X, but it's quite at a junior level. Mm. Now we're going to leave the Phoenix to one side. Yeah, it's best. Uh, aside from even that, her psychic powers have grown hugely over the years. Yeah, to to it being her main power. Telepathy, sorry, a psychic ability is the main power rather than telekinesis. Um, it's not that fair to talk about it now, but post post this year, which is two thousand for the X Men movie, post two thousand storytelling has really blurred the lines between Jean Grey and the Phoenix, where for many years they were separate entities. But anyway, she has been established now as what is called an Omega level mutant. Okay, an Omega level mutants. Uh, it's it's quite it's a little vague, but the um, the definition is. But the suggestion is that they have no upper limit on their power set at all. So she's in a class of well above Professor X when it comes to psychic abilities. Professor X is not an Amiga Magneto, Amiga level mutant. Jean Grey, Amiga level mutant. Like Cyclops and Wolverine and these people are not. I will say though, it was it was good to see Famke Jensen. If that's her name. Oh, she's great, yeah. Great, because all I remember her is then your honour top in Goldeneye, and she was fantastic in that. Very tongue-in-cheek. Fantastic. 
very, very memorable. <laughs> Especially if you were a young teenage lad at the time. <laughs> it's good. I, I, I'm really surprised I don't see her in, in more films, to be honest. But, that, you know, that's that's something else. Uh, yeah. 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 I, 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 do, do you have, a, do you have a, anything else you need to say? No, that's. I mean, we've we've got too much Jean Grey to. We've got far too much to to do when we get to, especially Last Stand, um, and then as we move on to the new um, Sophie Turner Jean Grey, we'll we'll have a lot more to do. Okay, no worries. Uh, so back to the action. The X Men scale the Statue of Liberty, battling the Brotherhood. Mystique causes confusion by impersonating the X Men, and the tension between Wolverine and Cyclops is nearly their undoing. So yeah, I know you like that toad line. It's a, I, I still consider it a, a sort of self-defeating line. But one thing is, uh, is I, also- think that's a, I think that's a Just Whedon line. To think about, I think I'm, I'm fairly certain Just Whedon did some screenwriting for this movie. Don't do this um, to me. <laughs> which connects us to Avengers and all and, and all that. I'm 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 very confident. I don't know where I got that from, but I have a feeling. Uh, yeah, but I, I'm, I'm that feels like a Just Whedon line as well to me. A little bit. If it doesn't feel like a strong one, but speaking of this, like um, I don't know. I don't. Can we discuss Halle Berry's accent in this film? Because I I know Storm is African, and she has a sort of an accent in this film, and then she sort of reverts back to her normal accent for the rest of the series, if I remember right. You know what? I didn't pick up any accent from her whatsoever in this film. There is an attempt at an accent I, several I've, times. I've never assumed she had. An, I've never. I've never. Yes, never, never registered with me that she's trying to do an accent. Well, this, this is a, like Halle Berry. Well, this is what I thought when I first watched it. I went, "Oh, my disappointment was because I, I watched the cartoon. In the cartoon, she has an accent. She is African. She's definitely African." And I, well, I, she sounds. Uh, uh, see, in the cartoon, she sounds like she's doing a British accent. Really? Well, yeah. I, when I say African accent, I I, I I mean I can't I can't name a specific country in Africa, obviously, because no, um, certainly not Kenyan. <laughs> it really is. that's where she's meant to be from. But yeah, sounds to me like they went. Let's do British. Yeah, that's that's exotic. Let's let's do British. There's enough of that in Africa, or whatever. <laughs> I don't know, but that's like um, yeah, yeah. Well, there is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. But in here, it's like I always thought it's Halle Berry just being herself, just doing her voice. But there were moments when I rewatched this where I went. Hang on, is she trying to do an accent there? There were moments where I thought that. I, I it might it, it might have been early on, and then someone in production went, "It's not working, Hallie. Let's just ditch it." Yeah, they they should have they should have told that to Christian Bale when he played Batman. Uh, <laughs> so controversial, I very controversial. I, I'm happy to defend. I'm happy to talk about Batman's voice for a full two hours. Believe me, uh, I know there's a tension between uh, the these two. In the '90s cartoons, Wolverine and Cyclops. I mean, yeah, obviously they're two two ends two they're two ends of the spectrum, aren't they? Uh, in terms of superheroes, is it a staple of the comic books as well? Because I can't imagine it not being. Oh yeah, it's it's a really hallmark of the yeah. X Men stories for decades. Cyclops has trained since he was thirteen to be a leader. Yeah, and not just of a fighting team, but a leader of his people. Yeah, that's. That is what the the Xavier School is all about. A leader of an oppressed people. It's just training and raising these children. Not that there's one leader, that you are all individually leaders of your oppressed people. All of us together. Let's do it. And so he's trained from a young age to be a part of a collective, putting his people first ahead of himself. 
Wolverine rocks up on the scene, is entirely self-interested, self-focused, doesn't care about the cause of mutants, cares only about getting revenge for what was done to him. Mm. And he happens to be a mutant. And he's powerful enough and strong enough that that, that is needed for the team. But um, that his motivation is to figure out all his personal issues. So there is friction from day one. And you throw Jean Grey in to the mix, who yeah. does that thing that is sometimes done by certain people to constantly give Wolverine just enough hope to keep him stringing along <sighs> and driving him mad, even though she keeps saying she'll never leave Cyclops. It's brilliant, tense soap opera stuff. You think she'd be um, above that? The relation. An Amiga, an Amiga class mutant doing such a cheap thing to a man's who heart. Can who can read your mind at all times? That's the nightmare. That, I, th- I think I saw that as a meme. They said, "If she can read her mind, how did she know not know about this happening and whatnot?" Apparently, uh, something happened in the comics. I don't know if, if if Cyclops ever had an affair. What? Sorry. Oh, uh, we're, we're spinning way on. Yeah. Yes. It came to two mind. instances. There's two instances where Cyclops seems to have a, an affair. Um, well there's three technically one time the first time he had an affair it's with Jean Grey he was married to her clone at the time let's move on Um, (laughs) the relationship (laughs) between between the two softens over the years as as Wolverine becomes more committed to the mutant cause and comes to see the X-Men as his family in the same way that Cyclops does Uh, after some new secrets come to light dark secrets about Professor X he gets pushed out and the, and the X-Men and mutants in general choose Cyclops as their new leader. Mm. And he leads the whole mutant population. He grows into this amazing leader with incredible military skills, establishes a safe haven for mutants. And, and during this time, he uses Wolverine to reform X-Force as part of this Black Ops group to do questionable, dirty Black Ops deeds that need to be done. Essentially, assassinations <laughs> off the books, assassinations. Yeah, and 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 Wolverine goes along with this, but it causes a lot of tension. He goes along with it because he's like, "Well, I don't want any other mutant having to do it, but I don't like that you keep dragging me back to this life I'm trying to leave behind." Uh, you know, Godfather Three style. <laughs> There's a great storyline called Schism, written by Jason Aaron, which kicks off his run on Wolverine and the X-Men and essentially what happens in Schism is it resets the conflict between Wolverine and Cyclops. Cyclops is committed to doing whatever it takes to protect his people and he uses the younger classes of mutants in the same insult as soldiers in conflicts the same way that he did when he was raised. He was, you know, between the ages of 14 and 18, he was used as a soldier by Professor X. Wolverine really hates that um, and he sees it as children having their childhoods ripped away from them just like what happened to him and being kids being turned into weapons and and he really can't stand that so tensions explode into a great big fight and at the end half the mutants pick sides with cyclops half pick sides with wolverine and they establish these two separate conflicting communities based on two kind of opposite ideologies but still x-men it's a really great schism by jason aaron and then wolverine and the X-Men by Jason Aaron, really great um, examples of that that conflict between them. It's kind of changed from the 80s, but it's still there. 
wow, that's a lot to take in. Okay, so I think we're at the final battle now. So as the X-Men battle the Brotherhood, Magneto transfers his powers to Rogue and uses her to activate the mutating machine. Wolverine confronts and distracts Magneto, allowing Cyclops to blast Eric away. Wolverine is also able to destroy the machine and then transfer his powers to Rogue so his healing abilities rejuvenate her. However, giving Rogue so much of his life force plunges Wolverine into, you guessed it, a coma. Some time passed. <laughs> uh, come on, come on. It's the second time. It's like a callback. Come on, come on. Some time passes. Professor Xavier and Wolverine recover from their trauma. The X-Men learn that Mystique escaped the island battle as in, and is impersonating none other than Senator Kelly. Xavier gives Wolverine a lead to his past at an abandoned military installation in Canada. Magneto is imprisoned in a complex constructed of plastic and is visited by Xavier. Magneto warns him he intends to escape one day and continue the fight. One ending. What? Now, this, this is one of those endings that it, 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 it's just a setup. You know they're just setting up the next film. And you know it's going to be better, which it is, obviously. Yeah, it 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 does. It yeah, it does feel. Um, I think did you, you you said before we started recording that this feels like a, 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 the pilot for a TV show. It does. Is it feels. Right? It feels like a pilot. Yeah, because it feels. And I, I I think that the ending plays into that big time. Yeah, there there is a a conclusion to a little adventure. Yeah. And all right, it was a, it was slightly a world challenging adventure, but it it also feels like it is it really is there as to set up everything that comes after it. A similar thing happens in Daredevil movie. Um, maybe maybe we'll get to the Daredevil movie. Ooh, I haven't seen it. Uh, but the, the Daredevil movie ends with uh, he beats the kingpin, and he says, "I'm not going to kill you. I'm going to send you to prison." You're going to pay for what you did. And the kingpin says, I'll be out very soon. And Daredevil says, Oh, well, I'll be, I'll be waiting for you then. <laughs> well, what's the point? Why have I sat here for an hour and a half, lads? <laughs> like, Jesus. <laughs> That's the most passive it's... threat ever. Oh, it's just the most, like... I hate it was so anticlimactic, and I know that there's a pull between portraying in a movie you're portraying comic books, and I've talked about how I don't think anything really holds up to the yeah. ongoing narrative of a comic book, and perhaps the X Men cartoon series in the nineties is the closest you come to that before you get to the, the Netflix Daredevil and Jessica Jones and stuff. And I understand a movie can't it wants to capture. The, the feelings of an ongoing narrative mm. but it but it does also have to be a movie it has to have a three act structure and it has to freaking end <laughs> and give you a definitive conclusion this i think this does that i think it does spend a little bit too much time on the what's going to happen next kind of thing yeah i, 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 I think could tell, in a modern world yeah um we we'd have a mid a mid credit sequence and a post credit sequence for this wouldn't we Raven would be a mid credit sequence or or no mm. did I I, I I tried to look for a post credit there is no post credit sequence here is there they don't, they don't exist at this stage no 
No. I think I think Raven would be the post post credit sequence. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it doesn't feel like it's a hundred percent just a setup for the next one. But it, it, it doesn't really. There is kind of a plant in there among this all happening. There is one thing that is quite ooh, and that's Mystique as the senator. It's quite it's quite creepy knowing that that's happening. So it's very cool. Yeah. And obviously. So that, alongside the fact they lock Magneto in a plastic prison, do any of those feature in the comics? Mystique's impersonated scores of people yeah. in the comic books. So, I mean, probably. I don't have a definitive memory of, of her doing Senator Kelly. Be- they're, they're so connected, though, because it's her. It, it, it was her murdering and assassinating him that, mm. in, that plunges the world into days of future past horror. Um I mean, but her beginnings in the comic books involve her uh, taking the name Raven Darkholm and infiltrating the Department of Homeland Security. Ooh. So there's, there's there's something close to that. Um, the plastic prison, I can't say for definite, but this is the first time I recall seeing it. I thought it was super cool. Oh no, it was totally good. It was it, it, it was like a logical thing. Let's make a prison out of plastic. In the comic books, humans got wise to Magneto's abilities pretty quickly and yeah. started to use like plastic bullets <laughs> and sentinels made of non-metallic metals and things. Well, like polymer or something. Yeah. Sorry, I'm getting engineering Would- again. I'm really sorry. Really sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Would that prison hold a comic book Magneto? Kind of depends on the period of time. Yeah. Over time, Magneto discovers that he's not just a magnetic guy. He has power over the electric, the electromagnetic spectrum, which is one of the f- four or five underlying forces that hold together matter and energy. Yeah, that's quite he frightening. He is able to manipulate electromagnetic charges in the body where there's no metal. He can uh, manipulate the whole electromagnetic spectrum, X-rays, gamma rays. He can reverse the polarity of Earth poles. Oof. You know, so he, he's... Uh, it depends. Then, uh, could could early magnetic man Magneto be held by a plastic prison? Yeah. Uh, later on, when he kind of discovers his Amiga level mutant potential, I I doubt it. I doubt. Uh, you know, he he'd be able to manipulate far too many forces to break that thing up. Yeah. Yeah. I I, I, well, I mean that was I mean, that's kind of what happens later on in the in Apocalypse, doesn't it? But we'll talk about that in another time. Yeah. 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 But. Which is actually earlier than this. Oh, God. Jesus Christ. Oh, no. <laughs> this movie series is so stupidly convoluted. Uh, that's a bad note to end on. But that, 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 that brings us to the end of the year 2000 and the X-Men movie on our detour before the MCU. Will, you are the movie aficionado, the movie expert, the movie fan. I like that I got Take downgraded us. to fan after aficionado. <laughs> <laughs> it's a sliding scale. Thank you. Yes. What um, are your impressions then of this movie? I mean, initially, um, if you've got memories of what you felt walking out of the cinema when you saw it, and how do you feel rewatching it? What, do you, what does this movie do for you? At the time, it felt like a yet another big blockbuster superhero film. Now, I'm going to stick by my point saying it feels like a pilot. However, great casting, really good casting. Uh, for its time, great special effects. Good for a first superhero film. Yeah, usable plot. Usable plot. 
I think yeah. it, I, th- I, I think it's a solid seven or eight out of ten. What is it like fall on us if we compare it to like Blade? Oh, then that's 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 comparing sausages with bananas, isn't it? I made that just up just now. Uh, Blade is a different thing. I say I prefer Blade for its bad CGI, for its even more cheesiness. I prefer Blade <laughs> because it's a raw, very yeah. aggressive animal, and this feels like you know, less aggressive, more like, hey, we're doing this. Well, hey, you know. You know what I'm going to say? You know what I reckon the thing is? What? There's no one as cool as Wesley Snipes in this movie. Yes! Wesley Snipes' Blade is 11 times cooler than the Wolverine in this film. 11 times cooler. Yep. He's so much more awesome. Yeah. If there was someone like Blade in this X-Men movie, it'd be a different story. Oh, totally. Now, where then do you think it ranks compared to the MCU films? Just the ones that we've done so far on the journey, the Phase 1. Iron Man, Iron Man 2, Hulk, Thor, Cap, and Avengers. Is it is it I, better I, than any of them? It ranks under them. It really ranks under yeah. them. It really does. Yeah? Yeah. yeah. I, 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 it, I, I, I'm not going to fight it. It ranks under them. I'm, I'm not the biggest fan of Thor. I think Thor's probably the, the worst performing of those. Yeah. And this... I cannot, I, I cannot believe how much you hit the nail on the head, though. Saying this feels like a TV pilot... Is one hundred percent exactly what it, how it feels. Yeah. This movie, it's a different story to the the, the next the next X Men film X two. X two is brilliant. Feel it, it. That's when it feels like you know something serious and proper. Hmm. Well, the other thing we want to look at then, my favorite part of the episode, perhaps, <laughs> thinking about what we've been through, the uh, the setup of the X Men and. All the different character beats along the way. What's been your favourite bit of Marvel trivia that, that I've dumped into your poor muggle brain today? Hard one, really. Nothing stands out, but nothing's particularly bad. But I'm, I'm going to have to go with Rogue throwing Captain Marvel off a bridge. Because <laughs> it just doesn't Her lifeless seem... body that's just, just dropped I mean, off the bridge. That's just horrible. But it's just like, what? Really? That's terrible. <laughs> it yeah. is. It is absolutely brutal. Yeah, that's horrible. Well, that brings us to the end of the uh, second stop on the detour. Marvel before the MCU. We wrap up on the X-Men movie. Don't forget, you can head on over to patreon.com slash Marvel versus Marvel to find out a whole host of extra, huh? <laughs> extra, X-Men, trivia, history, images from everything we've talked about today and some wild, wild stories yeah. up on the blog for absolutely free. You can also find, you can tip your boys and uh, help us keep the lights on and get access to some bonus content. In the next episode of The Detour, Will, oh. do you know where we're going? I know where we're going and I can't wait. It's Marvel before the MCU. Mm. We are tackling... One of the greatest superhero movies of all time. Building up. Working out how they laid the table for the MCU. As we give the treatment to Sam Raimi's Spider-Man. Watch along at home and join in the fun. Thanks for listening to Marvel vs. Marvel. Please like, subscribe and hey... Why not share us with a friend who loves Marvel? 
Don't forget to watch along with Sam Raby's Spider-Man for the next episode. Head on over to patreon.com slash marvel versus marvel for loads more trivia.